The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. It is Thursday, April 2nd, 2020, and you are tuned into the series finale of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thegorillaposition.com. Presented by Hami Media. In association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com and now unleashed at NDPW.com. On this week's show, we're talking New Jack, Ethan Page, Dynamite, NXT, and of course, your WrestleMania preview. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM podcast network still online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Jargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend, the guy who's going through the plate glass window at the end of the show. He's the real... RBV, Rick, welcome back to your show. Well, one last time, it's me, it's me. It's that art of the B to the V, Rick Vickery, back again. The Hitting Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, years in the making, but all good things, they must come to an end. And as sad as a moment it is, as we look to the future, new chapters beginning, new doors opening. It's a good time to uh, to be Jargo and the RBV. A good time to be a part of HittingTheMarks.com. A great time to be a part of the Hami Media Group, brother. Uh, it's going to be one uh, uh, emotional few hours here. It's been a lot of fun, man. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, but the way I'm kind of looking at this thing, I, I feel kind of like we're the golden lovers, right? I, I'll, be, I'll be the Kota Ibushi, and you can be the Kenny Omega, right? And we're just going to split off, and we're each going to go off, and we're going to do our own thing for a little while. And then eventually, like tag team partners often do, we'll get back together, and we'll do some shit here and there, and then we'll go off, and we'll do our own thing again. It's it, We're just kind of spreading the seed of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast. You know, it's just people are going to get twice the content now. Well, you, you threw me. You threw me for a swerve there, giving me the Marty comparison. Because I think I, you know, I, I, thought, I think I did it wrong. That you're supposed to go through the glass first, and then you end up being the drunkest guy at a battle on the border show. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. I've done it the other way around. That's fantastic. Tremendous. Yes, this is going to be a, a hell of a ride. Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Huckleberry, we got to start off. Um, this has kind of been the talk of the pro wrestling world, it, which is crazy because here we are. It's WrestleMania week. We should be reviewing like 15 different shows on this week's show. But instead, we're going back in time once again, getting in the Wayback Machine, and we're talking about New Jack, 
New Jack showing us the even darker side of the ring. You know, I have seen every episode of this series, and most of the time, like, there is some kind of a very, very dark story afoot, whether it be the Montreal screw job, or whether it be Moolah, whether it be Chris Benoit. This is the first time that I think it was just like, man, this motherfucker is crazy. New Jack taking center stage in the world of professional wrestling. I guess first off, Huckleberry, let's go back in time. When do you first remember hearing about the crazy motherfucker known as New Jack? Well, I know for most, and you know this was this might have been, you know, brought the the light to how he broke into the business because so many just remember all of the crazy antics and the the over the top persona and then the act inside of itself from ECW. But back in the day, I don't know if it was because where, you know, geographically I was positioned, but and as I've said many, many a times, I was fortunate enough where my love for professional wrestling grew. I had uncles who were tape traders. So it was regularly that I would see things coming through from Smoky Mountain. And it is there where I first got a taste of New Jack and Mustafa, the gangsters, and the act that they had going on. And if you think, now it was a completely different element from what you would see at ECW, just overall is, you know, what the culture was inside of those brands, those promotions. But the intensity and almost the uncomfortableness, it was it was just as entertaining and terrifying in Smoky Mountain as it was in ECW. And actually, because of how drastic of you know the fan bases were and the perception of what the gangsters represented there in the South, in many ways, it was much more terrifying and must-see TV than what was in ECW. I mean, you, you got all of these just removed, essentially from modern society hillbillies down there. Uh, you look at one of these shows. I mean, if, if there was one, there was a hundred Confederate flags. Well, and, and I think you, that was the thing. Like, th- there's two very distinct eras when it comes to New Jack, and it, it's the Smoky Mountain and it's ECW. But in Smoky Mountain, it was much more about the character work. Like, yeah, they were doing some crazy shit down there, but it was more about the character work and being two African Americans calling yourself the gangsters in freaking Smoky Mountain. You know, so it, it was a very much a racial character component. And then when he got to ECW, it was just about the violence. It wasn't necessarily so much about the racial component. It was just about the crazy over the top violence. You're exactly right. I mean, it, you didn't need that style. And, and Cornette wasn't going to permit that style in Smoky Mountain. Uh, you know, he is a traditionalist and he wants more of he wants to bring out the personality. And make the connection through your storytelling. And I'll even tell you, you know, is you mentioned character there. And watching this documentary, it reminded me of something that I picked up on, hell, a year, two years ago, pretty much when Strangler Steve broke onto the scene with the Hameen Media Group. And he would regularly speak about this. And he would make he would make that dif- that difference between character and persona. To be truly successful in professional wrestling, you're not a character because that's a role you're playing. When you become the persona, that is a part of you. That is another personality, an extension of who you are. And watching this New New Jack documentary, 
it reminded me of that. It took me back to what, you know, what he truly meant by that. And going forward, I'm going to try, it's one of those things I'm going to try to eliminate is, is, you know, the term deserve is character is I think it does a disservice to what professional wrestling and the fundamentals, the foundation's all about. It's about that persona. And if there's anybody who let that persona consume them and maybe even push it into a, a tr- over-the-top negative fashion, it's got to be New Jack. But you're right, going back there to Smoky Mountain, it was because it's just the personality, the persona, they were misfits you know, amongst, amongst that audience. And I, you know, one of the big angles I remember down there, and you know, we're watching a documentary and we're talking about the, the OJ. You know, thankfully he got rid of two of them and all that. I, I don't recall that kind of stuff, but I, I do remember that when they would have the affirmative action, where to pin them, they got a five count. Oh my god, that's fantastic! Like that's. The- that's the stuff that's missing in pro wrestling today. Like, there's no way you could get away with that today. I mean, you also couldn't get away with the beatdown that they put on Ricky Morton. I mean, like, there's there's just no way that in a modern context you could do that. Hell, you couldn't put two African-American gentlemen together and call them the gangsters. You'd have to call them something stupid like the Street Profits. Yeah, I mean, you need that empowerment, you know, in – yeah, you know, and WWE gets knocked for this so so much. You know, in any kind of oh, WWE is just so racist. You, you get the stereotypical minority gimmicks. I mean, you're you're playing to in in your stereotypes. That's fine. I mean, just as often you see that kind of applied to. I mean, of anyone of any race. Well, I think the to me, the, the big rip that I have on WWE is they always put them together. Like the new day is three black guys, and then you got the street profits that are two black guys, and we got to put the lucha house party, we got to put all the Mexicans together, and and all the Samoans, we got to put them together, and you know, like to me, the teams that really work are 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 when you get into that diversity. Like when you look at the NWO, the NWO, one of the things that people liked about them was it was such a diverse group. I mean, hell, look at the APA. Everybody loved the APA because it wasn't playing into any kind of a racial stereotype. Like, why don't they ever mix it up a little bit? Well, I think you have to have, and it's about dynamics. I mean, professional wrestling is at its best when it mimics society. And it is one of those issues. I mean, go out into the public, go to neighborhoods. Who is, who's hanging with who? That's true. You know, when you go to a local bar, it's not like you've got, four different tables with four different individuals of different races and creeds and all that. I mean, you're going to have your clique of white guys doing something. You'll have your group of black guys. You'll have, have, you know, the, the Hispanic guys coming in. I mean, that's how society works inside of itself. Now that's absolutely, it's not a, a, a stone cold truth. I mean, you do have people that will mingle at certain times here, but again, and you want things that look familiar, that that look like, you know, they are a, a cohesive unit. So when you talk about a team like the APA, was it just because oh, it's a it's a black guy and a white guy? How how advanced and progressive? No, but this was two guys that legitimately were, you know, that they, they played football. They were throwbacks in professional wrestling. Yet you bought into, you could see those guys after a show going to the local dive bar. 
smoking a cigar and probably getting in a poker game and maybe a fight breaks out with those two. I mean, it, it's about how you structure it and how you present the thing. I, I think this goes far beyond any racial issues. And ultimately, this is a business you're you're looking to make that money. And again, people, and I, I will give in you know, to, it, it was probably, it was long overdue when Kofi was able to grab the WWE championship. And that was such an incredible moment. He saw how that touched so many individuals. And there was some, you know, there was times where, you know, you make those arguments, Booker T would have been perfect in that situation. But if you go back to, and there was conversation back in the mid nineties with new generation, there was serious conversation about Ahmed Johnson because he had that superstar look and he could make that connect. But it ultimately came down to, it was the same reason they wouldn't put the belt on Scott Hall because he couldn't be trusted in that situation. You got to be able to depend on that main eventer to carry you at that point, and he wasn't quite there. And I think that proved great. But you get into the eighties. I mean, who was there? I mean, it, it, there was people of all races that weren't going to get that nod over Hogan, over the Macho Man, over a Warrior. And when you talk about who you're pushing to the top like that, look at the audience, look at the connect. Yeah, because there's a lot of white guys that were never WWE champion that in a modern era absolutely would have been. Right. And, you know, in WWF, WWE, whatever, the McMahon family, they've always been very big, you know, knowing that the Northeast, even through the expansion, and they didn't really see that real global boom, that true expansion where they took over, you know, until it really heated up between them and WCW. I mean, they still were dominant, you know, Northeast base, and their champions were always very ethnic. You know, you had Bruno to go with the that a large Italian base. Uh, you had um, Morales who would get runs there. And if you fit that mold, if you fit the demographic coming in that was selling out those gates, that's who was going to get those pushes. And I know it's some people, it's, it's easy to sit there and I'll probably get some heat here. It's like, Oh, Rick, you're just, you're a conservative, you know, middle-aged middle-class white guy. This is what we're expecting from you here. But no, that's a harsh reality of it. It's, it's still that way in Japan. I mean, we saw that with Kenny Omega. As great as Kenny Omega was in New Japan Pro Wrestling, Kenny Omega had a ceiling. He was never going to be the guy for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And we saw that, I mean, immediately. It was an incredible moment because they were to get people to rally around him. But hell, it was what? As soon as he won it. Two, three months tops where it was like, okay, that was fun. Now give it back to our guy. Yep. This, this is our promotion that says Japan on that on the marquee. We want a, one of our guys to carry this title. But I do think now, which is, I think it's incredible. And, you know, we, we have ties in here with, with the PW Hustle, so we get to see that perspective a little bit. But even outside of that is we grow and we reach into other wrestling circles and see these different bubbles within inside this bubble. I think you really do see quite a bit of diversity you know, being attracted to professional wrestling where that wasn't the case for so long. I guess the question is, I clearly they're not going to go that direction with Bobby Lashley. Is there a young African-American man on the roster right now that you could see in that kind of position? I mean, really, Big E, is, is that the one? You know, the, the trick to this is going to be because immediately when you ask me, you know, who can we give? And it and this goes back to almost removing color from it. To me, the first, you know, that we're checking off as we're going down the list here is someone that can that's really going to captivate 
a, a wider audience. Somebody's going to be that, that truly that megastar, that larger than life personality. And you almost, you, you run into a roadblock, take race, sex, whatever out of it. Has WWF done anything to set any of these performers, any of their talents up for that kind of success? No. I would probably say the closest thing you're going to get to this, and and it's it's very frustrating because there are so many gifted individuals, just over the top, incredible personas with so much potential, top to bottom throughout this company. You could really give the ball to and let them run with it. You just hope that the management, the creative, can get behind it. But as you say, man, a, a big E. I think he would just need a serious change in direction, but he could move there. I mean, I think you could really set it off and rally not just the African-American community. And I said this going back last year with Kofi Mania. You know, to me, this isn't a and – it, and I don't want to take away the moment and what that meant for that culture. But in a bigger picture, it was something for everybody. I mean, what, what Kofi represented was someone that has been with that company for damn near a decade and been passed over at every opportunity that had that glass ceiling that he couldn't break through. And pretty much just by circumstance, damn luck that out of necessity, they're giving him an opportunity and he sees the moment. He took the ball and ran with it and he showed you what perseverance, what dedication, what desire and drive can do for anyone in any industry. I mean, it was a true heroic story that the ultimate underdog a hero in the making for anyone and i and i think you know outside of, and wwe didn't play to any of that they made hardly a mention of you know that hey this is the first african-american to win the wwe championship and, and they played a little bit to you know he's been here he's been working hard but again they, they don't go to the lengths to make that strong connection so that's what really worries me. But I, and I think, could you imagine a, a long-term program with a a heel Big E and a babyface Keith Lee? Well, and that was the other thing I wanted to bring up was Keith Lee, um, it, because here is the problem that I see with Big E. Big E at this point is so defined as this goofball inside of the new day that in order to get big E to that main event position, you're going to have to have at least like a six month blood feud between big E and Kofi Kingston. When big E turns on Kofi, like big E has to go incredibly dark. You already have Keith Lee, the shining baby face in the pipeline is Keith Lee going to keep Big E defined in this role that he's in, like, because we all know that's a card that they have and they can play it whenever they want to the Big E heel turn on Kofi. But even then it's still going to take at least a year before you can rehab Big E into a main event character, let alone turn him baby face to make him this positive story when you already have Keith Lee in the pipeline. Is Keith Lee going to hold back Big E? I was wondering, and you look at you know the timing of situations here, but as you're talking to do this properly, you're exactly right, Jargo. You're hitting the mark on this one. You need that time, that slow burn, and that rebuild to redefine, regroup what Big E is. And you're, what you really, ideally, you want to recapture what he had as the NXT champion. 
Yeah. And you're so far away from that at this point. Absolutely. And, but let's be realistic about this. Six months of booking in 60 seconds. That, that would be the fear there. What they would do is they would have, you know, let's say for example here at WrestleMania here, one of the big surprises we get is that Big E somehow would turn on Kofi. They're expect us by Friday to believe now that he is this, you know, 180, a completely different individual. Everything has changed with inside him. And now we should, because they flipped the switch, now we should see him in a completely different light. And that, again, is where they're doing a disservice to these talents, to their superstars, because they're selling them short. It's lowest common denominator booking. And the a bigger issue outside of WWE pulling this bullshit is that they have conditioned the WWE universe, or vast majority of them, to accept this. And they'll buy into it and they'll allow themselves to be sell, you know, sold short here. Again, it's okay to ask for more, ask for better from WWE. It's not hating on them to be critical. You're invested as a fan. You are invested in this. Many of us spent most of our lives, thousands upon thousands of dollars, countless hours. You know, it, it's okay if you if, if you have that true if you have that passion, it's okay to ask for more, ask for better. Yep, absolutely. As you look a, a bit further into the the pipeline a little bit, um, you also have Isaiah Swerve Scott. What do you see as his ceiling? Is he going to be like a ricochet? Is that going to be his ceiling? When we get into those styles. My biggest fear there, and again, this, this this exceeds anything to do with race, sex. Are fans truly in awe of these individuals? Where is the persona? I mean, we can line up. You go to any indie show here now, you, you've got people thinking that's what they need to be to get to WWE. They're not worried about the persona. They're not worried about in-ring storytelling. They're not worried about the fundamentals and the psychology that that you need from post to post, pillar to pillar. Well, and everything you just brought up leads me to the man that I would really absolutely turn to in this situation and to kind of bring this back a little bit to New Jack. What New Jack was doing in Smoky Mountain reminds me an awful lot of what our friend Shane Taylor is doing right now in Ring of Honor, the man that I still believe is going to be the next Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Champion. You want to talk about a guy that understands the psychology of it, can tell the story of it, has the presentation. Like Shane Taylor is clicking on all cylinders right now. If I'm Ring of Honor, I'm absolutely getting into that Shane Taylor business. Yeah, I think it is, you know, last week we were having this conversation about promotions moving forward and how people need to adapt as we come out of this crisis. What is going to be your hook? And that would be, you know, for Ring of Honor to push somebody, so much talent, so much charisma, like a Shane Taylor, he could become a tremendous focal point for your promotion. And in addition to these demographics, these cultures within our society are going to see that. We're talking about now that we are seeing more minorities inside of the fan base. 
And they're going to appreciate a movement like that. And they will rally around someone like a Shane Taylor. And the way he has handled himself, it's it's very unique. And you see this kind of, it pops up all the time. And I don't think people really, you know, they don't step back and take that 360 walk to look at the situation where people, oh, we need a new nation. There is no way in hell that a nation theme. You have to do it the way that Shane is doing it with Shane Taylor promotions, where it's it, and as opposed to the gangsters. Now you have the freaking mob. I mean, like these guys are professionals and there is a racial undertone to it. But it's not cut and dry like that. You can't go that direction anymore in a mainstream kind of audience. Like CZW could get away with that. MLW gets away with that a little bit with Contra and that kind of gangster mafia kind of mentality. But the way that Shane Taylor has put together the Shane Taylor promotions and it's a completely separate entity that's functioning inside of Ring of Honor and you're hearing all about the business aspect of it, it feels very mob-like to me. Well, you know what I love about it? It, it, it is kind of a – at its, at its truest form, it's very Nation of Domination-esque. But – it's taken on the the tones of 2020 where it's not that Shane and the crew, they're not mad at the man for holding them down. And they're not, you know, they're not going to come out and preach about the injustices against them. In turn, now they, they realize that and you get those undertones, but now they're here to control the machine. You're, you're not holding them down. They're going to rise above on their own. They're going to show you that they're smarter than everything else, and they're going to manipulate the system to their advantage. You want to do business? Let's do business. It's great. It's fantastic. And it really, I mean, it's, like I said, you know, it, it's very, if you strip everything away, you can see those comparisons, but it's so much more brilliant and tactful. And it represents, you know, where, if you are a part of the African-American community, of, you know, how you should be approaching corporate America. You know, put it to work for you. If, if you're intelligent, if you know how to work the system, the ins and outs, the loopholes to, you know, how to handle yourself in the contract negotiations, that's exactly what they're doing there. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I, that That's my face of the next generation. Uh, let's talk about a guy that's not going to be the face of the next generation. But boy, am I thankful for him right now. His name is All Ego Ethan Page. Huckleberry, while all the indie shows in the world have been shut down WrestleMania week, somehow, some way, Ethan Page's body guy extravaganza is still happening. It's going down tomorrow, April 3rd, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can go to his YouTube channel. It's at youtube.com backslash Ethan Page Vlog. All one word. And Rick, listen to this main event. Three stages of hell. Scott Steiner versus Brian Cage. Hell fucking yes, I want to watch that, especially for free on YouTube on a Friday afternoon while I'm quarantined at home. If you're going to put Big Papa Pump on my TV, I'm going to fucking watch it. Is is this thing like already taped? I mean, how the hell are they doing this? I have I mean, no they, fucking idea how no, he's doing this. I, I know you care about just actually pulling this thing off. How the hell is Scott Steiner? I have no stepping idea. Into not even into a wrestling ring, but to compete, but in a three stages of hell against Cage. 
Isn't he hurt too? <laughs> I, I, I thought so. Is this the magic of cinema? Did they like film this thing like two years ago or something like that? And, and it, it somehow Paige has been sitting on this thing. I, I, I don't know, but I'm really looking forward to it. We also have the rascals taking on space monkey, Danhausen and Warhorse. Uh, Danhausen, I know who he is, thanks to Ring of Honor. Uh, we have Chris Masters doing the Master Lock Challenge, which I don't think I've seen in 20 years, so that should be entertaining. We have the Body Part Scramble, which I don't know what the fuck that is, but it's featuring Dan the Dad and Joey Ryan and several others. Did you see the picture of Joey Ryan in the parking lot with the sign that said, Touch My Dick? I didn't see that. I, I saw that a couple of days ago, and then I think I when I was researching this show, this show for this show that we're recording, I think it popped back up too, and, it, and you see what's going on there. So hold on a minute here. You're <laughs> excited about this match that you have no idea what it is, but you've been bitching about a boneyard match for three weeks now since it was announced. Yeah, but I hear body part scramble, and then Dan the Dad and Joey Ryan, and I can imagine what this match is going to be like. I still have no idea what in the fuck a boneyard match is. I could I could see Joey Ryan in both of those matches. That's true. A, a, a boneyard and a body part. That's script. true. Jody Fleish takes on Anthony Henry. Josh Alexander versus Eric Stevens versus Jake Something and Chris Dickinson. I'm interested in that matchup. Intergender match, Jordan Grace versus John Silver. And this whole thing is going to be announced by Chris Van Vliet, your special guest ring announcer. Rick, I, I'm really looking forward to this just because it's an indie show and I have no idea what in the hell to expect like it almost feels like a wrestlemania week show i think this is really one of the and it, uh, you know to get back into kind of the groove here one of the things is you know the regular conversation people are having is well how are they going to do this wrestlemania there's no audience it doesn't you know for us the fans you know those at home it doesn't have that excitement one of the biggest thrills and attractions missing from this weekend is all of the indie shows that we see running I mean, right. We should be getting ready as we're sitting here recording on a Thursday afternoon. We should be, you know, we should have Jamie Greer on from Last Word on Pro Wrestling. I know he was excited all month to come on and break down all of these shows with us. And we'd be, hell, they'd probably already be kicking off here at quarter till four o'clock. We'd probably have our first show underway. We'd be settled. We'd be getting ready to settle in for five days of 60 plus hours of professional wrestling and some of it just the weirdest shit that you've ever seen in your life like joey janela's spring break shows and you know the orange cassidy show and like the body guy extravaganza ddt like there's all kinds of crazy shit that happens well, WrestleMania uh, week then you have the ladies that come over uh you know they absolutely stole the week last year, making so many headlines on the indie shows. You got Bloodsport that we're missing out on. So really inside of this with, with Ethan Page's presenting, it, it's all eyes on him, you know, and he's going to have to kind of represent a little bit of all of that. And if the word's out there, I think people, I mean, just for the curiosity of what's going to happen here, they're going to be tuning into it. Unfortunately, some sad news to report. While Ethan Page's body extravaganza is going to happen, 
Stardom is not. Stardom has canceled their show on April 11th in Yokohama. And April 25th, they were actually going to run an afternoon show and an evening show in Osaka. Both of those events have been canceled. Rick, it seems as though Japan is up for round two right now of the coronavirus. Yeah, and this really... You know, outside of professional wrestling, but this is what really turned me on to it is to see the cancellation here and immediately, you know, I'm thinking, okay, okay, what is this? Does this have something to do with the crisis that the world is facing with the pandemic? Or maybe is it that just the society is having a little bit of a, a slow time transitioning back into the normalcy of their, their day-to-day lives? But we've seen this at the last shows, at the Cinderella tournament. You know, very minimal size crowds. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we put well, over what have been a, a packed Corican Hall for that show, right? You know, and we put over. They did a tremendous job with inside of their production of really disguising that. But you know, when you look for it, those things that you know our eyes are tuned to go for, and you could you could notice it. But they did a tremendous job in their production and in ring. I'm not trying to take away anything that they've done, uh, but I thought maybe that was an issue. Maybe it's just you know the ticket sales are so down that the people just aren't returning in those gro- you know those groves of that that they were used to. Uh, but it does seem like that maybe a little premature. So it's something that as a nation in the West, that our society needs to look at and say, okay, you know, what what did they do wrong? How can we better improve on that? Because now you're starting to see where, you know, Italy, who was just seriously impacted with everything Corona, that now it seems that they might be on the backside of this thing yeah, as they- well. It's going to be something to follow. And of course, Stardom owned by Bushi Road, the same company that owns New Japan Pro Wrestling and New Japan just keeps canceling shows left and right, too. At this point, I've basically come to the realization. Unfortunately, I don't think Best of Super Juniors is going to happen. And now I'm seriously starting to question if Dominion is going to happen in June. Best of Super Juniors sucks, man. Everything's going to be interesting. And I, I'm sure, you know, the, the powers that be, they're working diligently to, to try to come up, to regroup, to make sure that, you know, especially you, is some, you know, is a tremendous New Japan fan. And all those just, you know, the, the traditionalists that have been following for decades there, I think they're going, to, they're going to get a payoff. They're going to take care of you guys. They're going to take care of us as the fans. We just got to be patient. And again, you know, open your mind up to the circumstances and let them, you know, play with it here and be excited about what they present. At this point, what I would do, what I would propose anyway, is if they are going to, in fact, cancel the best of Super Juniors, uh, make the Hokiado tour that's going to happen in July that replaced the G1 Climax this year, make that best of Super Juniors. I don't want to go a full year without that that tournament because it sets up everything inside of the junior division from now until Wrestle Kingdom. Um, we also have New Japan Cup. I think that's just going to be completely canceled altogether. Uh, the anniversary show, the matchup between Naito and Hiromu, I just don't think is going to happen anytime soon. I think as soon as New Japan gets back to business, you've got to get those championships separated um, so you can run basically two tours to try to make up some revenue here. Uh, I got into a conversation with the professor, Chabella Vera Cruz, the other day in the PW Hustle discussion group. And he and, was, and I, I thought I felt bad for people with Corona. Oh, I know, right? 
Uh, but he was making a comment about how New Japan should run a show with no fans. And what people are failing to realize, while here in the United States, we have companies like the WWE that are signing, you know, billion dollar TV deals. We have companies like AEW that are signing hundreds of millions of dollars in TV deals. That's not the case with New Japan Pro Wrestling. That company relies off of the gates. Like it is still old school mentality. You have to draw fans and that's how the company stays afloat. Running empty arena shows for New Japan is completely counterproductive. I mean, even New Japan World, it's just not a sustainable source of revenue for the Japanese market. I mean, even internationally, they only have like 120,000 subscribers to the network. Well, again, this comes this goes back to their culture, their culture, correct? Yeah. I mean, there isn't there isn't the there isn't the emphasis on streaming or even at home viewing. There's so much that that it tremendous importance on getting your ticket and getting your ass in that seat. Where here in the states, we're conditioned. I mean, it's a 180, and that's why you see the decline in gates. Where you can make viable arguments to do away with live events, to do away with the house shows, or a drastic cutback. If you take that approach over in the Far East with any of those promotions, you might as well just put a lock on the door because you're shutting them down. Yeah, like even that stardom show that we watched for the Cinderella tournament, which is one of their big events of the year, I can't believe that they made any money off of that show. Like best case scenario, it was probably a wash. And that's, you know, why my initial thought. And yes, I mean, it does seem like they are getting maybe a second go around with the Corona, but you got to believe even somewhere in there that a lot that had to do with this decision is realizing they, they probably got through that Cinderella tournament, looked at those books, saw where they were at and just realized, Hey, you know, maybe we were a little premature and trying to get back out there. Let's take a step back. Let's reassess this thing. Let the complete healing process inside of itself take effect you know, because even, you know, something here in the States that we have to plan for, I shared this the other day on my Facebook page and on a few other social media spots at the Real RBV, but it pertains to the business that I'm in and where I handle marketing for hospitality-based businesses. And a large part, part of that is restaurants and bars. And one of the biggest hurdles that they're going to have to face as they come back is how, you know, the trends and now the stigmas that are going to be in place through society and that's going to involve the continuance of the social distancing, which is going to drastically cut on capacity size yeah. inside of an establishment. You bet. So, and it was actually John Taffer from Bar Rescue who was who was brought this to brought this to light and really broke down some of these numbers. I mean, you look at places that you know if you're used to if your turnover in an hour. For just an example here is a hundred plates. Now with social distancing, you don't have table and bar stool, chair, whatever on top of one another. It's you've be got forty to, plates. Well, he said the uh, he said to on the safe side of it, which is still a huge swing, is you go from a hundred down to sixty plates. And I mean that is a huge, a huge low blow. 
and then when you when you take in and it's state to state where they're they're doing these relief programs for for different restaurants, bars, and all that. Uh, but some of the more progressive ones you're looking at, they are going to give. They have a loan program, and I think they're trying to get this thing nationally as well. But they will go back. You have to you have to provide this information for them, and they will cut you a check, a loan, whatever it might be for eight weeks of payroll. Now, th- that sounds great, right? I mean, we can take care of our employees, these people that are out here struggling. We, we've seen this across social media, people from servers to cooks to, you know, whatever it might be, busters, you know, how are they going to pay their bills? I mean, this has been, their livelihood's been cut off. That's going to, that can really help them out. You have to make sure that you apply that only to payroll unless you owe that money back. That's fine. Give it there. But for the restaurateur, the owner, I mean, you've got other things. You've got equipment, you've got inventory, you've got lease fees, you've got, you know, just your, your electrical, your water, whatever. You're not going to recoup that. That's gone. You're starting from scratch there. And you're going to, you owe all those bills still. You're not bringing anything in. Those are serious issues that you have to face. So again, if you are a, a startup, you pull back here and say, shit, you know, maybe we weren't ready for this thing. Yeah. And now we are hearing that the WWE could be taking a break post WrestleMania. Um, My understanding is the two shows after WrestleMania, Raw and SmackDown, are already in the can. Um, But after that, we may not have original content going forward coming out of this thing. Um, It may be replays of stuff or like special narrations, kind of like the snowstorm episode from a couple of years ago. Uh, Rick, where do you stand on this thing? Do do you think that it's time to pull the WWE back a little bit, or do you want to see them? The other popular opinion I've heard is basically build a studio in Stanford where they already have the studio space, but build a ring in there and run shows out of a closed set, basically on location at HQ. Yeah. And I know, you know, that's been a conversation in I don't, I don't know which, if it was the old facility, if they have this at the current offices. I know there is plans for the new facility going forward where they do want to put in a soundstage. And they will have those capabilities. But from my understanding, at the new facility, I mean, you're looking two years out. But I know in the past, you know, the likes of where Kurt Angle was trained, where The Rock was trained by Tom Pritchard, that happened there in Stanford. And I guess the big issue about that move is because – the state of Florida is they're putting the lockdown on. Correct. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be an extended stay at home act as you've seen at so many States. And then now it's going to, to actually hit the WWE. I'm really of the mindset. I've been saying this, you know, get to WrestleMania. That is the important, that's, that's your goal. At that point, it's time to seriously reassess the direction, take a good, long, hard look at the real situation. And right now, I would gear that towards, you know, you you start back up, not hitting the road, but going back to the performance center, hopefully early May. But how do we get through this month? What has been working for us in these empty arena shows in this presentation? What's been kind of hitting for us? What's been an absolute miss? And what's been an absolute miss when you go to those quarterlies is when they start replaying these matches 
People immediately are tuning away and they're not returning. That's not going to work for this programming. Another thing you got to keep in mind, they're not going to go strictly to no original content. That is something, Vince, you know, everyone knows this. When Vince gets his mind set on something, hell, I mean, that's, what, that's why we're talking about an empty arena, WrestleMania. When he gets his mind set on something, it's, you're going to be damned if you stop him. And one of the things that WWE loves to hang their hat on is decades, week after week of original programming. The longest running weekly episodic show in television history. I mean, was that even a word <laughs> episode before? I don't think so. I don't think yeah. so. I mean, so this was, that's one of those Vince-isms. And it's something that they take tremendous pride in. And, and going back to the early 90s, you have kept this streak alive. I absolutely understand 100% why that's important to them. Okay, You, well, you want to fight through this thing here, but that doesn't mean that you got to run live matches in these empty arenas. That new content could just be new vignettes. Uh, breaking news, interviews. There's a number of ways that they could go about this thing. Well, here's one thing that we haven't talked about at all, and I don't think I've heard anybody talk about across any of the platforms that we're affiliated with. Um, we have the week after WrestleMania already in the can. Uh, traditionally, two weeks after WrestleMania is Superstar Shakeup, right? Like, uh, nobody's talking about a superstar shakeup. You can easily kill an entire week worth of television with that. Can't you? Yeah. And what you do is, you know, this goes back last week. I had mentioned this to you. I think I was talking about it Monday in the locker room briefly is iHeartRadio. They had put a, a presentation on with Fox where they were going into, you know, the superstar musicians homes. This thing was hosted by Elton John. And they're kicking around, you know, they're going to Alicia Keys. Uh, hell, most of them, I, di I didn't even recognize who they were because I'm just old now. <laughs> uh, but, but the way it was presented and how they put the packages together, and it essentially what it was, was you're going into their home studios. They didn't have any on-site crews there. You know, you didn't have a producer or anything there. They were shooting it with their webcams or whatever they have available. And that's going to the master control, the director. You know, they're, they're shooting it to individuals like you and MSG, and you guys are putting this together remotely. It, it was it was a incredible piece of work. And now this weekend, we're going to see the NBA with it, with the 2K presentation with ESPN. You know, they're going to be streaming their games, and we're going to have those in home camera views and all of that. WWE needs to employ some of those strategies here. They really need to get outside of the box here in this next month and put out some, some compelling, original, innovative content. And then to fill in those gaps, yeah, I mean, highlight some of these, these documentaries or put together mini documentaries on some of your superstars that we really want to focus on here. Going back Monday in the locker room, you know, I'm one of the few really that I'm seeing make this defense and make this argument in favor of of Drew McIntyre, you know, going over at WrestleMania. There's so many, well, they're stuck in that. Well, you got to have that pop. You, you want to have that moment for him. You know, my argument, my rebuttal to that was, this is something that's going to be so unique and so different than everything else. We're always going to remember this for Drew. I mean, this could, this could change the direction. 
This allows them to kind of reinvent themselves in a way. So you take that moment and then each week you run a little mini documentary on Drew about how, yes, I mean, he is a new, a champion for a new era. He's a, he's a truly a global champion because ultimately it started with something that no champion has ever had to endure before. And it was a WrestleMania like we've never seen. And then really get into his roots, you know, really tell that story. And you can do that across the board. I mean, you're going to bring somebody up. I would include someone like a Bianca Belair in there, a Keith Lee. Across the board, you do this. And you hit us with these little segments, so you're kind of jumping all over the place. So you're, your interest is there the entire time. It's not, okay, you gave me 15 minutes of this, it's over. You go on to the next one like we become accustomed to with the, the Saturday Night Live like creative and structuring of WWE programming. Keep us on our feet here. And then, uh, then also inside of it, you, you hang your hat on, you love your original programming on the network. Start showing a little bit of that. Now, there's a lot that there's a, a, a lot that they could do. Hell, I, I still think, you know, one night, three hours of this should be via Zoom, via Skype, whatever it should be, is the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it sounds like the Hall of Fame, they're going to move back to like SummerSlam weekend, assuming that SummerSlam weekend is still a thing. Uh, before we get too far into WrestleMania, uh, I, I want to talk about AEW and NXT from last night. Um, start things off with AEW because AEW also finds themselves underneath of, you know, the Florida no contact order thing. So they basically have built themselves a soundstage in a undisclosed location. And that's where AEW Dynamite is coming to us from. Although seeing the AstroTurf uh, underneath, I'm kind of guessing that that is somewhere inside of the Jaguars uh, practice facility. Uh, so, uh, un- undisclosed, man. Are you sure it's not up there in Rome, New York? It very well could be. You never can always sometimes tell, a wise man once said. Uh, so AEW Dynamite last night, uh, empty arena show. Well, I guess they did have some fans uh, around ringside, if you want to consider, you know, the Gun Club and Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian. We had the wrestlers back around the ring again. Uh, Rick, what did you think of the presentation of AEW Dynamite last night? Well, again, I think they found a nice group. And to mix it up a little bit, you know, last week they had to shake up with the the excitement reactions, you know, where they went backstage and you had the babies in their area, you had the heels in theirs, and now we're seeing them kind of mingling again. And they kept the divide. You, you had their, your little clicks out there, the divide between the sides. And I think, you know, well, I, I don't think we should be expecting every week for them to go out there and reinvent themselves and how they're presenting this that they found a groove and again they continue to blow away anything else that we've seen i thought it was kind of funny as i was watching the show and following along in the discussion on in the homie media discussion group um it, it seemed like the, some of the quote unquote fans kept kind of stealing the show like people couldn't stop talking about jimmy havoc people couldn't stop talking about penelope ford Britt baker got one hell of a shout out of course as we would see in the hikaru shida match I mean, it, they're, they're absolutely playing into some of these personas to get some of these people on TV too. I like it. Well, it, it, that's another thing, you know, in that week one, people were so, I mean, they were just, Oh my God, how can you have the people there? Everyone's going to get infected. What about social distancing? Th- these are unessential employees. No, they, everybody that was present that could make the trip down there 
they utilize them to the fullest. I mean, there are in if you missed it as a viewer, that's a you thing. Because they were telling and they, they've done this week after week with these empty arena shows with AEW. They are making the most of it across the board. They're telling stories with damn near everybody that's involved here. Now, I do think in certain ways, and in, in maybe this falls on Cody the last couple of weeks, is that he is getting a, a bit dis- more distracted in everything else that's going on rather than the stories, not, not necessarily the in-ring action, but the stories that are being told in the ring. And I think that's where he's he's getting a little bit of criticism. I, I haven't minded it so much. I thought last night when you mentioned that it was a little more exciting around the ring, I I didn't think that they were really hitting the mark with the in-ring performance last night. Do you like Cody on commentary? I guess you, you get a curve, right? I guess. For with with circumstances. I d I don't think it's something that would be in the would be in the best interest of the company in the long haul. Can we just stick with Colt Cabana? Like I I, I enjoyed Colt Cabana and Tony Schiavone. But I think more too when you have Cody there because you had things going on with Colt early in the show. So let him get you know his his storytelling out of the way for what it pertains to inside the ring, and then him and Cody kind of him and Cody kind of flipped those roles. You know, it was okay. Cody will take care of the color duties up to this point. Colt, go get your stuff in. And then we're going to flip it here, flip the script so Cody can go get his in-ring stuff done. So let's run through the matches. Kenny Omega defeats Trent. The match goes 19 minutes in a 20-minute time limit, like 19 minutes and 52 seconds or something like that. It was ridiculous. Uh, we, we, we This is the same gimmick that we saw with uh, Cody earlier, right? Or no, it was uh, Hangman where he barely beat Kip Sabian in 20 minutes. Um, Rick, I, I felt like this did a little bit for Trent in making people view him as a legitimate single star, but I felt like this hurt Kenny more than it helped Trent. Like I, I, I thought this was a good match, but I didn't necessarily think that it was the most effective match. And I think this is one of the bigger issues that's facing AEW. It seems internally that they, you know, they think the best way to get over maybe these not as familiar with the general audience talents or, you know, to elevate that mid card is to sit there and let them go toe to toe here with the perceived marquee players, the main eventers, like your bucks, like a Cody, like Omega, you know, the, the elite essentially. And in turn, I don't think it's, it's doing a significant positive for those mid carters like a Trent. I mean, the difference between how much it's boosting his stock as it is maybe not lowering, but flatlining somebody like Kenny's, you know, I don't think the payoffs are there between the two. Well, and we would kind of see it again with Dustin and QT Marshall later when they took on the Dark Order members, numbers eight and nine. I mean, even the Ayatollah himself, Ben Hameen, chimed in. It was like it took Dustin and QT Marshall nine minutes to beat those two goons. And it's like, okay, how much of this do we give a pass because we realize they're trying to fill TV time? Like that, that to me is the the bigger question. Like this should have been a five minute match. It went nine minutes because we have to fill two hours of original TV time. 
Well, then I think you need to realize that in your booking strategies, then you don't go toe to toe 50, 50 offense and defense in there. When you're talking about, you know, the dark order here for them, if you need to stretch that thing out, what'd you say it went 15 minutes? Uh, the dark order and Dustin and QT match was nine minutes. Okay. So in a straight up, you're thinking that thing is seven tops. And that's a, that's a lot of time in there between, you know, that two minute doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're inside that ring, I mean, that is a world's of difference. If you need to extend it like that, why aren't you involving instead of just eight and nine, you know, you're bringing out other people. So there's some shenanigans where they're trying to play this numbers game and hell, you know, what we're seeing from the dark order, it should be by any means necessary. But I mean, I felt that way about every match on this show. Kenny and Trent goes 19 minutes. Like it would have been a whole lot better if it would have been 12. Hikaru Shida defeats Anna Jay in five minutes. It would have been a whole lot better if it was two minutes. Uh, Lance Archer murders Marco Stunt, which while it was a whole lot of fun, I, I, I could have went for about, you know, another two or three minutes less there. Uh, now, to me, that was the disappointing match of the evening. I mean, I wanted this thing to be a slaughter. I wanted it, it to get to it? a point. I, I no, I thought Stunt got entirely too much offense into this thing. Okay, well, we'll, wanted, we'll, we'll we'll come back to it. But but then even the main event, Sammy Guevara and Sean Spears versus Cody and Darby. I don't have the time on here. But if at a certain point it almost felt like it had become a comedy match in a main event spot, just because this match we had to have it go twenty minutes, and when it was only a twelve minute match. Well, again, you know, and this is why do we need to fill this void, to fill out, yes, I mean, there's two hours on a very thin roster. And they do have, you know, you have these hurdles in the way that that are unavoidable. So I think, you know, you do get a little bit of a pass. You're going to give them you know, that grading curve. But then again, when you sit back and reevaluate this thing and you know what this group is capable of, they are, you know, it's not where we're having this conversation of a 70 plus year old man being in touch with the trends of the day and the technologies and how to utilize that. And if he's going to listen to the people around him, AEW is built on that. Those individuals are the ones running this company. We know what they can do with their social media presentation. Why are we not filling the time with with those productions? Well, how many of those productions did we have last night? I mean, we had the Moxley and, and Jake Hager video package that went on and on and on and on. It was really, really good, but it was really, really long. You have Mr. Brody being a complete and utter douchebag to the other members of the Dark Order, which is a story that I enjoy very much, but it felt like it just kept going on and on and went too long. And then you've got Jericho talking to a fucking robot, which was just absolute fucking gold. Chris Jericho is a goddamn global treasure. He's not just a national treasure. He's a global treasure. And then you had that Young Bucks feature. Like, I, I don't know how many more of those elaborate video packages they can film and produce over the course of a week when they're, you're already running like five or six of them. Oh, but, I, but we're talking about, it, to me, a few more of those is going to go a lot longer and it's going to protect your you I know, agree. Protect the product in the, the importance of the end ring product. I agree, but you can bet the production staff is running a skeleton crew too, man. Like it takes time to produce this shit. You've got a week's time on this, right? I mean, uh, 
And, and doing true. one of those a day seems about right. I mean, and that's going to give you, you know, five or six of them a week. Now, see, to me, you got to up those efforts. It, 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 what is better for you here? What is going to protect your product in the long run? Agreed. But if you only got you, if, if you got me, Ben Hameen and MSG, all three of us are very, very good at what we do. But we can only produce so much content over the course of a week. Okay. I mean, I, I know. I've seen the books here with the Hameen Media Group. We're all we're all living high on the roost. I mean, that's why you're taking an early retirement, cutting back here. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. You got tenured as a producer here. Your ass is protected. I mean, it is as good as we have it, is as high on the roost that we are. We still don't have con money. We don't have access to the, you know, these major sports franchises or that we can bring people. How many people that are in this industry that are looking for kind of work like that? Right. But I'm saying right now with the coronavirus lockdown, their production staff might be 15, 20 guys, and they've got three of them working right now. Why can't we work remotely here? Well, that's great, but I can't film remotely. I could shoot you content. And it might be a little rough around the edges, but you kind of, you embrace that, the rawness of it. You embrace the situation. You let people know, hey, our talent, we're dealing with the same things. We have got a skeleton crew that was actually able to get here because they live in the area. But we have talents around the world that unfortunately they can't be here, but they are, they're so committed. Their drive, their desire, their fire to succeed in AEW, to entertain you, the masses, especially how much AEW just panders and, and spoils and caters towards that demographic, that's fine. I think you get a – that's where you ask for that pass. Well, here's Let's, the thing. Here's the thing, all right? And and this is a shout-out to all of my friends who work in any kind of production that is out there and producing content right now. There is a lot of us that are working the same amount of hours to do the same job but it's taking us twice as long to do it because everything is being done remotely. And while that sounds great on paper, the amount of workflow suddenly has doubled for the people that are actually producing the content. Because let's say, let's say that we do it that way. Like, let's say that we get you and Ray Phoenix and Pentagon and you guys go and you shoot something and then you send it over to me and I take a look at it and I'm like, I need this, 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 and this reshot. So then I have to send it back over to you, which also takes time. And then you've got to go and you've got to reshoot it and you've got to send it back. It's so much faster if I could just shoot the fucking thing, knowing exactly what it is that I need. You're, you're doubling everybody's workflow with about half of the people that do it to produce the same exact product. So shout out to all of you content creators out there, because I understand. Believe me, I understand. Well, first of all, you want to have that issue with me because you're going to ask the people over at Rev Pro. They they already freaking hate me because I'm such an asshole and sticker about how we shoot <laughs> shit. Yeah, it's a bitch, but, man. But again, but it, you know, ultimately, I understand where you're coming here, Jarko. I'm, I'm not trying to sell anyone short. Very appreciative of the efforts that everyone's putting forth here. But I just think, you know, in these times, it, it calls for that extra effort there. And if it means 
And the argument is you're already getting the extra effort. Otherwise, this show would not be airing. (laughs) No, I like with AEW here. I don't think it's fair to compare what the hell we're doing with what they're doing here. Oh, no, I'm talking about AEW. My production here hasn't changed. The Okay, but what did we just cut off? Is we're talking about those match times. We cut off maybe seven minutes. So if you could produce one more vignette, and hell, in this point, just run an extra commercial block. Man, it, it sure felt like they did last night. Both shows felt like they ran a shit ton of commercials. Yeah, and that has been noticeable, that they are employing those strategies to save themselves a bit. But the commercials are cheaper, so you got to double them up to create the same amount of revenue. I mean, that's that's really what's going on here. The the TV stations are are really freaking hurting. Uh, but let's kind of run through AEW here quick. Omega defeats Trent. Good match. Went too long. Hikaru Shida defeats Anna J. Five minutes. Um, but really, the, the bigger thing here was Hikaru Shida and Britt Baker kind of getting into it on the outside. Uh, Hikaru Shida, the number one contender. It feels like she's been the number one contender about half the t- amount of time that AEW Dynamite has been around. When the hell is Hikaru Shida going to get a shot at the AEW Women's Championship? Well, I mean, they were putting over heavily. I mean, she is the number one contender now, and they even mentioned it. You know, they, as you just asked, when is the time coming? You know, she has earned that opportunity. Uh, I think, again, you know, it's just going to be about timing when we can resume this stuff. Well, it, 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 I just find it funny that everybody was like, you know, when Riho was the uh, AEW Women's Champion and people were complaining that, you know, she was never around, that we never got to see the championship. When's the last time you saw Nyla Rose? My God. Hasn't been around at all. Uh, Moxley and Hager, the video package. In two weeks, we're going to get this no-holds-barred empty arena match on an already empty arena show, which is just completely fucking weird to me. Why in the hell they would make that decision? Um, I thought this video package was really, really good. I thought Moxley was fantastic. Uh, and Mr. Hager, please, just just look at the camera. Like, look, look over here, Jake. Jake? Jake, I'm over here. Jake, no, 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 not over there, Jake. Over over here. What the fuck was he looking at? I, I, that, yeah, who knows there? Especially someone that has that training that kind of should know those cues at. So that was a little off. So you got to think maybe they were going for something. Uh, but you're talking about this match, though. It's in the can, obviously. We haven't heard too much about it. I'm still just hoping, you know, that we get rip the ropes off of that thing and give us that blood sport atmosphere. That'd be cool. I, I would be down with that. Lance Harder Archer murders Marco Stunt. I enjoyed the ever-loving shit out of this. You thought they gave Marco too much offense? Absolutely, man. I wanted to see him just obliterated, uh, just wiped off the face of the earth. I thought it was a lot of fun. I had, I had a fun time with that. Uh, Mr. Brody is a dick. Uh, Rick, there's a lot of people that are going to this. This is to Vince McMahon. Um I'm not sure if this is working or not. And the the problem here is we have no fans. So we have no idea how the fans are going to be responding to this on a mainstream kind of level. I know how the the people that we're friends with and our little corner of the internet are reacting to this, but I don't know if that's the same sentiment in a mainstream bubble or not. You got to look at, again, this AEW, their target demographic. You got to believe that they would eat this up. 
you know, they're, the way they perceive the WWE, and especially Vince McMahon, he is the ultimate evil. Not just within professional wrestling, but inside of society and our just our human existence itself is that he represents everything that that is preventing professional wrestling to to take this evolution into video gaming and cosplay and, and truly the the millennial movement. He's everything that is that is stopping that from happening. He is the the antichrist to their very existence. They would love this thing. I'll admit inside of, you know, just you know, just inside of the content itself, I was popping during this thing. I was having a good laugh. Now, it's absolutely not something, it's not a reason I'm going to be tuning in to AEW for. And my biggest concern with it is they they invested a lot in this dark order from, you know, how long this thing has played out to the vignettes, the production behind it. And now it almost seems that this payoff that we're getting, it is walking a very thin line between becoming just pretty much a low card comedy act. Well, and my fear and what I would really like to see, like I wish I knew how the crowd reacted to Brody walking out and having that stare down with Dustin. I wish I knew how the crowd reacted to Brody getting in the ring and power bombing member eight or nine, whichever one that it was and the other one cowering in fear and then Brody walking away. Like I I'm afraid that the way that this is being played is going to turn the dark order babyface, even though the script is clearly being written for them to be a bad guy. Like if Brody and Dustin are put into a singles match and that is on the first show with where fans return. Is that crowd going to cheer Dustin over Brody or is the crowd going to be chanting for Brody during the entire match? Like, I don't know how this is playing to that audience. To add worries to your worries, that reaction from the audience, will that be driven from enjoyment of the Dark Order and the Brody Lee character or will that cheer come from the comedy aspect. Right. Will it, will it be because they are actually laughing at professional wrestling? And it's it's so hard to tell how this is playing without the fans live reaction. I, I, I felt like this segment more than anything else on the show was really missing that fan reaction to really read. How is this playing? Is this effective? Like whether I'm enjoying it or not, is it effective? Absolutely. And even inside of one's enjoyment of it, what sort of enjoyment is that? You know, as I just said, watching it in the moment, I'll laugh. I'll get a little chuckle out of it. But it's doing nothing to get me invested in the Dark Order or the product itself. And again, you know, when you bring that audience into this bigger scope, you don't want the reaction to be that they're they're cheering along because they're mocking a situation where comedy is I've always said this. And we've had gone back and forth on this. It has a place inside of professional wrestling, but it has to be done right. You don't want it where the payoff through the execution is that people are making fun of 
the genre of the sport. Well, and when you and you see at- that now, you see that now with the modern audience. You know, when you see ESPN or an FS1 picking up a Joey Ryan, they're not they're not glorifying or presenting professional wrestling where people that are viewing that want to say, "Oh man, you know, wrestling's got something. I, I maybe I should check it out again." And they're not reigniting that passion in individuals. They're getting a laugh, and people are saying, "Look at how stupid that is. This is ridiculous." And then they move on with it, and they're not giving it a second thought. That's why the dick spot and what Joey Janela brings to the table. They're not good for professional wrestling whatsoever. Well, and inevitably, this is what turned broken Matt Hardy into a babyface because people just they enjoyed the act, so they cheered broken Matt Hardy, who was clearly a heel at the beginning of this thing, and the the audience turned him babyface, and he was smart enough to go with it. That was the thing. Um, I, I feel like this entire Dark Order thing, it, it stands the potential of what happened at the end of the Bullet Club to where the Bullet Club were clearly supposed to be the heels, like inside of Ring of Honor, but everybody loved them, and people were cheering the act, and the baby faces never stood a chance. It was the same thing that happened in WCW with the NWO. You know, are, are you here to see WCW, or are you here to see the NWO? People were cheering the heels, which just puts the baby faces in an awful position I'm afraid that Brody is going to turn the Dark Order babyface. Why? Well, and I think that actually they're apples and oranges because people cheering, even you know, with Hardy when we first got the taste of the broken brilliance, it was because it was something so different and unique, and the audience was so hungry to break the norm, to break through, to see professional wrestling presented in a different spotlight. And then when you talk about the Bullet Club, the NWO, it's because those individuals were cool. Steve Austin you know, is probably the shining example of this. And DX, it was because they were cool. They were cutting edge. You wanted to cheer along with them in a positive fashion. The problem inside of what we're seeing here from the Dark Order is they're going to generate a response. And you're going to hear the cheers and the laughter and the roar of the crowd but it's not going to be for any of those reasons. It's going to be because they're mocking professional wrestling. They're going to see it as a joke. I mean, this isn't the Dark Order isn't the level of an NWO, a DX, a Stone Cold, a Bullet Club. It's the fucking huckster in the Nacho Man. Right. Yeah. That's that's the biggest fear that we should have here. I mean, I mean, what's next? Instead of eight and nine. He's going to start running them out there as mail carriers and garbage men and hockey players. Uh, are we going to have one of, you know, the internal struggle be when Brody's son shows up and it's Hornswoggle? Oh, God. Don't I mean, when put we put that into the universe, man. When we, when we write this edit. character, when we write this character off, is it going to be in an, an exploding limousine oh, God. scene? And then the next week we get Brody Lee repackaged like nothing happened. <laughs> it's awful. I mean, where are they, where are they going to draw the line on this thing? You know? Right. And then there's Jericho. Jericho is a goddamn treasure. My God, 
him cutting that promo on fucking Vanguard one last night was the most entertaining thing that I have seen this week. And I don't just mean in the world of professional wrestling. I mean, that was the most entertaining thing that I have seen this week. I was laughing my goddamn ass off. That was fucking hilarious. And only Chris Jericho could pull that off. Yeah. Again, Jericho, absolutely brilliant. So masterful at his craft. I think the best part about this though, and I, maybe it's just because of the, going back to the Monday locker room and the back and forth you and I had about the Drew McIntyre vignette. When he got out of that hot tub and had a pair of jeans on. Okay, but, all right. That's what I know, though. That's, I mean, just because of the conversation you and I had. Right, right. When, but I can justify this one. I can justify this one, all right? It's Chris Jericho. He's clearly been drinking and he's in a hot tub. Do you mean to tell, I know you have a jacuzzi. You mean to tell me that you have never gotten into the jacuzzi when you were intoxicated with your jeans on? I feel like this is a story that everybody can relate to. Oh, I know. I get it. I've been there 100%. Man. I've never hey. climbed a mountain in my underwear to pick up a boulder, but I, I, I would absolutely see myself ship, sipping champagne in a hot tub with my jeans on. You and I have lived completely different lives, my friend. Fucking fantastic. Uh, then we had the Young Bucks feature. Uh, what did you make out of this this Young Bucks feature with Nick Jackson? Like, they're, they're really selling this entire concussion angle, which makes me a little bit uncomfortable inside of the world of professional wrestling. Um, but what do you think they're doing with this entire, you, you got to kind of question your own mortality angle with the Young Bucks? Yeah, again, I think what really comes into play, it's been sticking out these couple of weeks is the Caesar. And I, I think it's going to be one of the bucks that is going to stab him in the back. And it's going to really trigger this explosion within the elite because really at its core, the synergy is the bucks. You know, it, it's not, it's not the dynamic, that odd dynamic, that odd couple vibe between Cody and Kenny or, the now the seclusion trying to distance himself the the social distancing of the elite from hangman page i, I think you know at its synergy it's very core is the bucks interesting then we had sammy guevara and sean spears defeating kobe kobe cody and darby um I guess the big talking point was kind of the the thing at the end with Darby Allen, where he he really went after Cody out of frustration. After Darby does the right thing, he saves his tag team partner, and he ends up getting beat for it. Um, what are they doing with Darby Allen here? Because I feel like Darby is the fastest rising babyface inside of AEW, and I think there is going to be some people with a bit of pushback here on Darby Allen, where they just did not like this action at all out of Darby. Well, I don't think we need to worry about the fan reaction. You know, the conversation we're just having of the direction with the dark order. Now this is something that could be a serious issue. And I could see they're coming from a number of directions. They, they want to show that, that seriousness, that, that loner side, that fire that drives Darby. Uh, but again, you position him in a spot here against your true, your top baby in the company, a guy who is recognized, who is a true marquee player in AEW and Cody. I, what you're really going to do is turn people 
dead set against Cody. Now, maybe that's what you hope for. Eventually, you want to push Cody into that. I look at what happened here, and there's a number of directions. You know, I, I helped create all this. That was for you, and now you're you're selling me out for this young kid. Even in in that tone, I don't know if I like how that plays out. You know, really, this match itself was all over the place. And you said they're they're telling different stories, and it could have been because they're stretching this thing out to 20 minutes. Going into it, I just. I'm ultimately, we've had the conversations about how we're not fans of adding this title. I don't even like the structuring, how they're presenting this thing. I don't like this tournament. I felt like it was a spoiler for the entire tournament. I mean, look, look at the brackets, all right? You've got Sean Spears versus Cody, and you got Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen. That's the left side of the bracket. All right, well, okay, now we've set up tension between Cody and Darby Allen, right? So clearly, Cody wins over Sean Spears. Darby Allen wins over Sammy Guevara, and then you have Cody versus Darby Allen to go to the finals. On the other side of the bracket, you have Kip Sabian versus Dustin Rhodes. Dustin's going to win that match. And then you have Lance Archer versus Colt Cabana. And Lance Archer is going to win that match. Then he's going to beat up Cody's older brother, Dustin, because he's after Cody to begin with. And then in the finals, it's going to be Cody versus Lance Archer. Like, finally, that's how you get to that match. But the, it's all set up because of this tag match. Does that If that tag match doesn't happen, and if the whole Darby Allen versus Cody confrontation doesn't take place, then you have some real questions going into this tournament. But the way that that tag match was done, I feel like it spoiled the whole fucking tournament. Well, I think you, you're exactly right here. I think that they gave away so much just by going with the eight competitors and how this thing was conveniently placed together. Because even without the the exchange there between Darby and Cody at the end of Dynamite last night, I mean, you still, you got the history. You go back to Fighter Fest Mm -hmm. where you got that tie here together with those two. So you expect them to be meeting in that, that semifinal. But you're exactly right. You know, over on the other side, Colt and Archer. Colt's going to represent here what Roberts and Archer are here to destroy. Yep. That is the that indie darlings that are again laughing at this business in perception. They're going to run through them, and then you're right. You're probably going to see a very vicious side, a more vicious side of Archer. Justin's probably going to get some color in this thing, maybe stretchered out. I mean, it, it's it's going to be you know, a classic, you know, Hollywood cinema. You know, the brother goes down. Now Cody, the the hero, the the younger brother, is going to try to ride into the rescue and right Rocky. This. I, I was thinking of No Holds Barred, but yeah, it's, it's Rocky, Rocky Four. It's Rocky Four when the Russian takes out Apollo, and then Rocky's you know by his side while Apollo dies, and then uh, Rocky has to step up to fight the fucking Russian. That's it's it's Rocky Four. That's I was thinking. No holds barred. You know, you got Rip's little brother in the wheelchair, and you know that Zeus pudding there. Yep. Yep. So it, it, now you got to now you know Rip's got to come in and, and save the day and take Zeus down, and, and that's what we're setting up. And it's and a great me, story, I, but that tag match completely spoiled it. Now see, to me, and I, I didn't like the tag match at all. And it seems forced because it's the way the bracket laid out. I think you could have 
And again, you know, it just has to go with what they've got in the can, who is available, what they've got going forward. Maybe the timing was wrong on this thing. Maybe this would have been something if they are dead set on introducing this title. I think this would have been something that would have been tremendous to roll out when you get back to the familiarity, the normalcy of the show, when you're welcoming audiences back. Welcome back. We, you know, not only are we the elite, not only are the cons, not only is AEW, but the support that you have shown to the network, TNT, they came to us. They have actually designed this thing, financed it. They want to give it to you, the audience, the TNT championship. Welcome back. We got a 16-person tournament, single elimination. We're going to do this for the next four, six weeks. This is for you. This to me, and you could have, you could have got down to these final eight, but you would have disguised it a little bit more. Yep. And you would have gotten some extra exposure as well for some people that you know have just been kind of relegated to the dark episodes for another fucking belt that you didn't fucking need to begin with. I know this is one of those cases, you know, it's driving me absolutely insane. You should just cancel WrestleMania now. Just, just go ahead and postpone it. Shut up, jackasses. It's in the can. They're, they're financially on the hook for this thing. They're trying to save whatever they can. We talked about it Monday in the locker room. They're, this is a no-win situation for them right now. They've made the commitment. They need to get through this thing. You got everything till next Friday in the can. Then you reevaluate it. But every you know armchair booker that knows everything about everything, that thinks everything that's so important that drives this business happens inside that ring, need to get over themselves about this. So this is one of those cases, Jargo. We know it's a terrible fucking idea. They don't need the championship right now. It's already, in my eyes, it's already devaluing the world championship. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Especially when, you're, when your world title match is Jake Hager versus John Moxley. Yeah. Like, no, no disrespect to Moxley, but... Jake Hager, while he's undefeated in AEW, that makes him what two and zero. Like it, it does not feel like a main event match. Well, and again, and it's not even anything against Hager here. Proper build. A year, six months from now, that could be a hot program. But it's about one of those things. Okay, you're rushing this thing. You're not. You're not putting it on. Under the brightest spotlight, on the biggest pedestal that you can. So if you're going to move forward this thing, give it the proper presentation. Don't use it. Right now they're using it. It seems like they're using this as a crutch. We need a hook. We need something to keep these people tuning in over this next month. You've already got that curve in the grading. Yep. You're, you're still new. You're still fresh. People are still tuning in for you. Save something. Come out with that boom. And that's what this championship could have been. That would have been my argument sitting there. And the, now I guess do they have booking means they don't have bookers. So I, I don't know how the hell this works. So I don't think they do either. So, <laughs> I mean, that would have been, you know, my argument, I would, you know, been up in the DMS hitting everybody up here. No, this is what we need to do. Let's think big picture. Let's get the best pun intended bang for our buck on this thing. Let's not panic right here. All right, let's talk about NXT on USA. They started off with Velveteen Dream defeating Bobby Fish in the best singles match that Bobby Fish has had in a very, very long time. This match, I, I don't have the official time, but it goes through two commercial breaks. But the thing that I found just incredibly freaking annoying about this match, Rick, they come back from the second commercial break and go to the finish one minute afterwards. 
What yeah, was the point of that on a pre-recorded show? Like, who cut this shit? My, my biggest complaint here with NXT this week, and I thought they did a better job. And to me, they have they have the soldiers for it. Is when you do extend these matches a little bit to fill that television time. But the production on some of this, there was a couple questionable moves the way that they cut this thing. And as you, as you mentioned there, Jargo, especially it's not like you're rolling live or you hit you, you miss a cue here. You've had weeks to prepare this thing. Yeah, I was completely confused by that. Uh, Dexter Loomis defeats Jake Atlas. Um, Rick, I'm not sure if this is the first time that we've seen Dexter Loomis on NXT television. Uh, I'll be honest. Sam Roberts on commentary just pisses me off. I like Sam, but when he goes into gimmick mode, he just pisses me off. There's no way I could listen to him on commentary. So I listened to AEW Dynamite on commentary and just kind of watched NXT. Um, what's Dexter Loomis's ceiling? inside of NXT because I know I always like Sam Shaw. I know that you always like Sam Shaw, but I need some kind of range out of Sam Shaw because I, I feel like his character is incredibly one dimensional and it's been exactly the same character for like the five years that I've been following Sam Shaw's career. Like I need a little bit of range out of Dexter Loomis. And I, I think you're exactly right. And, I think this is the first time we've seen him on NXT programming, but he has been involved in some other features. So it's through access or you know, like the little side presentation, things like that, that we get from time to time. So he has had some exposure to the universe, not a lot. So this is really a, a debut, a coming out party for him. You talk about look presence, ability inside that ring. He absolutely it seems that he's got it all for him. When we talk about that ceiling, you're exactly right, Jargo. It, it's going to be that persona and his range of how he can present himself. And it's not saying and what he does, he is very good at. That persona he executes perfectly. But when you limit yourself to that, that single direction, you're you're a hit or you're a miss. And unfortunately, a lot of that a lot of that's gonna fall outside of his control. Will the creative get what he's trying to present? Ultimately, when you talk about breaking through to that big success, will someone like a Vince McMahon understand it at all? Cause at this point, I feel like anybody who watched NXT last night, that's Dexter Loomis. Like that, that that's the full range of the character. Everything that you saw last night, that was it. He doesn't blink like that. That's the gimmick. He doesn't blink like it, it's I, I like the guy. I just I, I really question what his ceiling is going to be in the WWE. Well, maybe that hey, with the gimmick, he might have just worked yourself into a shoot. Don't blink because you might miss Dexter <laughs> inside of. NXT. Well, and especially with Cross coming in, because I mean, it, it, it's a very similar style of character, but Cross has so much more range than I've ever seen out of Sam Shaw, Dexter Loomis, whatever you want to call him. You know, you know, looking at if Vince McMahon's going to get what you're bringing to the table, what if you really want to break into WWE, 
just go study all of the hot trends from like 87 to 94. Yeah, pretty much. Execute those, come up with, you know, all of the inside jokes, the terminology, the dress. You probably, you'd be main event in WrestleMania in no time. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about this women's gauntlet match, which was awesome. And I could hear your heart breaking from all those states away. Shotzi Blackheart defeats Deanna Perrazzo. Shotzi Blackheart defeats Zia Lee. Shotzi Blackheart defeats Aaliyah. Shotzi Blackheart defeats Caden Carter. And I could hear Huckleberry. He's like, I called it. I knew it. Shotzi's going all the way. They are putting Shotzi over huge. And then Dakota Kai's music hit and Rick went, oh, fuck. Jargo was right. Yeah, you call it. Well, you know, ultimately, I, I don't want to say I was completely wrong because I think I, I think we both were right. I think both of these girls got over inside of this match. I think the right woman went over, but the match was really about Shotzi and her determination and her grit. And it was just she had already taken too much by the time Dakota Kai got to her. And I, you know, really in the grand scheme, the bigger picture here, making the run and coming up just short here probably does more for Shotzi than running this thing and then going and falling short inside the ladder match. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. You know, this keeps her hot. You know, what could have been, man? What an incredible run. And it keeps her in that conversation when we get into that, con you know, as we start talking about the next number one contenders, those next superstars that are going to step up and start challenging for the NXT Women's Championship or even you know, more so that are going to be at the forefront for the next step in where this division goes. So I think this was a tremendous move by them. She had a tremendous showing, as I said, in it, putting her over here. That's fine. But I think, you know, she wins this thing. She would have had to go on and win that ladder match to keep that momentum. I think here in a defeat. She looks amazing, and she has elevated herself. And ultimately, that's what you wanted. So the ladder match is going to be Chelsea Green versus Mia Yim versus Tegan Knox versus Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae versus Dakota Kai. And, Rick, I, we, we talked about this last week. I don't know how to call this thing. I have absolutely no idea how to call this thing until after Sunday when I see the results of Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair. Then I can get some kind of an idea as to what direction I want to see this ladder match go. Absolutely. And really, this is one of those is a blessing in disguise. As if we would have just if everything would have gone as planned, WrestleMania weekend goes off without the hitch. You know, the winner of this ladder match almost would have been very telling of who was going to emerge victorious in Ripley and, and Charlotte. Unless it was EO, because I'm not sure anybody really understands how they're supposed to feel about EO at this point. And I do think that she, if you go to Vegas right now, she's probably got to be the favorite. Yep. I agree. Kushida defeats Joaquin wild. Uh, and Rick, this was the weirdest fucking match. I think I've seen on NXT in a very, very long time. Because the way that they were putting this match over, if Joaquin Wilde would have won this match, he would have been a contender for either the North American Championship or the NXT Championship because defeating Kushida really means something. Since fucking when? I, to me, the only thing that Kushida means is the biggest disappointment in recent NXT history. Kushida has been completely irrelevant since he walked in the fucking door. Yeah, it, 
this goes back to do they get you? You have a you're, you have a very small window of opportunity there, and unfortunately, in more cases than not, it's outside of the hands of the talent. And this is one of those where they have absolutely missed. I forget Kushida's even on the fucking roster half the time. But they told you how important it was. Yeah, I, I was just like beating Kushida like makes you a contender. Wouldn't that have to mean that Kushida's a contender? A contender for what? Fucking hell. Let's talk about Keith Lee. Keith Lee retains the North American Championship over Damian Priest and Dominic Dickhead. Uh, Rick, I thought there was a 50-50 shot. I thought there was a 50% chance that Damian Priest was going to win this match. I thought there was a 50% chance that Dominic Dickhead was going to win this match. I thought there was a 0% chance that Keith Lee was going to win this match. Boy, was I fucking wrong on this thing. I I am totally lost what we're doing with Keith Lee. I thought he was going to be the number one babyface on SmackDown next Friday night. That clearly not the case as he is still your North American champion. Again, here is we make the comparison to the AEW TNT championship. Is this something? Is Keith Lee going to be when, if and when? And I feel like we're, it seems to be like a, a reoccurring pattern with NXT. If it be Shayna Baszler, if it be the AOP, win, win, win. And you hope that they don't wait too long on this thing. But could this be a case of? Let's wait on Keith Lee to when we do get that audience back and we do let them know, hey, we are ready. We are full steam going forward. This is a pop for you. And we are going to invest and begin to establish him as a major contender on Friday nights or wherever the case might be. I don't is that know. something maybe, maybe they're just waiting for on that? I don't know. I, I, I'm completely lost what we're doing with Keith Lee, to be completely honest. I don't even know who's next for Keith Lee unless it's unless it's Damian Priest, because, you know, he, he pinned Dominic Dickhead, who should clearly be out of the North American championship picture at this point after Keith Lee's pinned him for like, what was this, the third or fourth time? But Damian Priest, like Keith Lee took care of him, too. Like Keith Lee's the one that took Damian Priest out of this match. So I feel like that was pretty definitive. Like, I I feel like it's got to be like Cameron Grimes versus Keith Lee for the North American Championship at this point. And you, the way they've got everything structured here, I think they missed a tremendous opportunity not pivoting off of a direction they obviously had set in their mind going with Velveteen Dream. I think the whole landscape would be so much hotter at this point had it been Keith Lee or Finn Balor positioned as the challenger. Or if you could have somehow even gotten to both of these individuals to be there inside of that NXT championship picture. And as crazy as this is going to sound, and this isn't a, a knock in any way, this is because, I mean, it, he is ready to burst through to that other side. I don't see where they're there isn't much left for Keith Lee to do in NXT. So inside of that, I don't know if he holds any tremendous value for the brand. Are we continuing or are viewers continuing to come back because he is still part of the gold standard of the WWE universe? I don't believe so. I think it's a case of people are still excited for him, but the longer that, that you let him just kind of, you know, run in that quicksand inside of NXT that excitement's going to fade. 
you need to make that move. And I think they're going to need to do that within this next month. And I can, I can see and I can understand why they would wait to, you know, once you get back to the, the familiarity and your, your normal routine of programming, boom, you have got to hit home with him. Yeah, because there is a lot of matches I want to see with Keith Lee right now, but they're all like Roman Reigns, Braun Strowman, Baron Corbin. Like I, They're all main roster matches. There's nothing left for him in NXT. Why well, You go back and look at that excitement from the WWE Universe. You could, you could see, you could feel, you could taste the hunger when he entered the Rumble match. Yeah, Keith Lee and Brock Lesnar. Fuck yeah, build to that. I'm, I'm down with that. And the individual survivor series who stole the the show, the moment, the marquee Keith Lee. Yep. So let's talk about takeover takeover on USA outside of that North American championship match, which they did change to a takeover background for Um, it. Takeover is basically going to be on USA network. We're going to have that women's ladder match for the NXT women's championship. Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa. And we're going to beat the fucking shit out of each other match. Adam Cole versus Velveteen Dream. If Adam Cole can put down the video game controller long enough to come and defend the championship, it seems like that's really the storyline going on there. And I feel like that's a complete miss. Um, And and then there's a couple other matches that were supposed to be at TakeOver that I just don't know. Uh, Broserweights versus Grizzled Young Vets. As far as I know, three of those guys are not in the country, and they're probably not getting in the country anytime soon. So I don't think that match is happening. And then we have Finn Balor versus Walter for the UK championship. Uh, one of the matches I was most looking forward to that I haven't heard a fucking lick about. And it seemed like it would only be logical that that match be rescheduled for TakeOver Ireland on April 26th. But now that has been rescheduled, Rick, for October 25th. I don't think that we're going to continue the Finn Balor versus Walter feud all the way until October, but I also don't think Walter's going to be in the United States to record a match against Finn Balor. So when in the fuck is this match happening? Well, I think, you know, it, it does, it does add to the situation and make it a bit problematic with moving the UK NXT event to October, but I don't think it's anything that's so pressing that that this is a program in both cases for the tag team titles or or the UK championship that we can move that thing. We can sit on that and revisit that later. And, and it's in large part because the UK product, it isn't up front and the audience isn't as familiarized with it. So uh, that inside itself, there, there's other things that I don't feel you could push, you know, where people are saying, we'll just move, you know, like making it to the SummerSlam event. There's no way in hell they could have sat on all those programs or trust the creative is going to be able to prolong or hold interest for an extra four or five months in that. I think you have a different dynamic with with the UK and how it's presented and how, you know, it's just even with the taping schedule and the production that they can go revisit those. All right, man, let's take a little bit of a break because I need a cigarette and we're damn near two hours into this fucking show. And we still have to preview WrestleMania. So uh, let's take a little bit of break. You go refill your water and uh, we'll, we'll find something to plug in here. And we'll be right back with your WrestleMania preview. My homie said that I'm too jaded. I don't give a fuck. See through the post and I start a ruckus just for fun. Maybe I'm faded and I'm about to tear this club up. We in a jungle motherfucker. 
aggressive But that's just how we always been We never did suppress it We fresh out of fucks to give and live a life like it's the one tonight We going crazy cause tomorrow may just never come Huckleberry, so it's that time. We wait all year to do it. This is the last time we're going to do it. It's time for the WrestleMania preview. God, I love that music. All right, Huckleberry. Let's let's run through this damn card. 16 matches to preview before we can go home. Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. You talked a little bit about it earlier. And man, I just, I'm so torn on how I want this thing to go because I feel like this should be the crowning achievement for Drew McIntyre, but I just have this feeling they're going to stick with Brock Lesnar and try to put this thing off until SummerSlam. I'm not sure it's the right decision. I'm not sure if there is a right decision in this one. And again, I, I see both sides, both sides of the coin here. And it seems that, you know, that overwhelming majority in this case, they are absolutely pushing for, you know, this for Drew to have that. that this is that moment, that crowning achievement. They're fixated on what we traditionally know and what has defined that. And it is the to see the emotion and the uproar from the audience and to have the the fireworks, the pyro, the streamers at the, you know, that world championship as celebration that you see across the board in professional sports. That is what is we've become to expect and what has defined that moment. I get that. I think you can, in a loss here, you tell the story. We made the comparisons before to a Rocky. This again, this is Rocky one and two. You can go that route. It was Strangler Steve over Wednesday in on the Hami Media Group in the Wednesday locker room that made that comparison. And I absolutely understand that. But again, to me, and the marketing mind, and that is a safe route. I would go out on that edge. I would try to do something so different to embrace this moment. If, if inside of this, if you're WWE, and we talk about this, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's almost a no-win situation. Could you swing that pendulum a little bit in your favor if you don't play the safe route in this? If you go ahead and you create a moment, you make a move that, again, to me, this will forever stand out. We have countless. We have going back to Macho Man winning the tournament, to Warrior grabbing his moment, to Shawn Michaels, whatever it might be, to... Steve Austin, all of those to Daniel Bryan, countless over 35 years that has come to define the grandest moment in WWE. Well, in this opportunity here for Drew McIntyre at a WrestleMania, the showcase of showcases, the showcase of the immortals, 
this one is going to be so unique and different. It will forever stand out of this becomes his moment. And you can take this and you can ride this wave and use this to say, this is, this is, this is us jumping into the evolution of WWE. This is how we are going to define ourselves along society as we come out of this global crisis. It, it's going to take it's going to take some balls. It's going to take it's going to take some courage and commitment from WWE to make a bold statement like this. But I, I think it's absolutely a direction that would benefit the company here. I guess I should have led with this question: Is this clearly the main event on Sunday? Like th- this is the match that closes both nights, right? Like the final moment of WrestleMania is going to be Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar. Is is there anything else that you think should be in that spot or is in the conversation for that spot? I think it's all about the the result. What's the finish? I don't think it matters. I, I think it absolutely does. It, more so than ever, you need that final moment to be a hero. You, you need to send people f- feeling, you know, we're not sending anybody home. <laughs> you need to you need to touch the people in their homes with that feel good moment. If it's not Drew McIntyre, if you're not taking that making that bold statement, going out on that edge to make this forever different, lasting impression, I don't think this closes. I, I think maybe this closes night one, but that ultimate go home, you need that feel good. In that case, I'd probably pivot to to edge going over Orton. I'm I'm just not sure that you want to headline WrestleMania with anything other than a championship match. Again, you're letting yourself you're defining this moment by the norm. What we're used to for these 35 years. We have to step outside of this box here. This is something that we've never seen. That WWE's never seen, that wrestling's never seen. I, I, I still feel like e- even if with that said, though, I feel like the closing moment is somebody holding up a championship. Like there, there there's nothing at the end of Edge and Orton. Like what, what what do you go off the air? What's the shot that you go off the air with? Beth and Edge embracing and putting over the moment, the return. The last singles match of how what that meant. And it, the last time that we saw him in a singles match was at a WrestleMania. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't know if that's big enough for, for that shot. I just don't know. I feel like that falls I, flat. I, I don't think it's, I don't, you're not, and again, we're looking, you're trying, we're defining this moment by what we've known. This is, I think this is bigger than this. I mean, you need to make a connection. People are in this time, they're looking for that ultimate feel good. And what's better than that? Now, it isn't going to be Brock Lesnar, holding up a championship with Heyman with that smirk right now. We're talking about a time where you're seeing families coming back together and more of that importance on your inner circle, who is closest to you and making those connections. And now that we're on, you know, just in these immediate family lockdowns where people can't see their aunts and their uncles, their grandparents, their nieces, their nephews, you have that moment where you have Edge and his wife embracing, and, and if the kids can get there, and there's going to be all these different dynamics that are brought into this here. But if you can create something along those lines, that togetherness, a family embracing, 
and symbolically showing that we've made it. We went through all these obstacles. If it's storyline-wise, if it's the reality of pulling off WrestleMania, that's an image that you send home. Well, here we are, roughly 48 hours until WrestleMania, and they are still advertising Roman Reigns versus Goldberg for the championship of the universe. On Monday in the locker room, we said we weren't going to talk about it, but, you know, here we are Thursday on the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, and we know that it's going to be Braun Strowman versus Goldberg for the championship of the universe. We know this because it's been leaked everywhere, including from Roman Reigns himself, including from Triple H, that Roman is not going to be in this match. So why in the fuck are we still advertising Roman Reigns versus Goldberg 48 hours beforehand? Triple H put out this quote, and it's a long quote. I'm just going to read the end of this thing. It's just me saying I don't want to give away the ending of the movie before the movie takes place. So I think everybody just has to watch and kind of see how this unfolds. But it will unfold in a unique way. And I think it will be meaningful, you know, for everybody. And again, there will always be critics and we're doing the best we can. Are they, Rick? Is this really doing the best that they can? They're clearly going to turn this into a storyline. And I think that's a wrong move. Well, he even he talks about that in the extended quote. You know, when you look at things inside from a business perspective, from someone in his position, you're always looking at a reality of a situation and you're looking at the KFAB situation, the storyline aspect of it. And he he plays to that here. I wonder, you know, so much of this thing, and I thought we had a tremendous conversation about this Monday. Why did this leak? Why why are this is doing more damage? that Roman Reigns in the position he is with this company, that he would be so outspoken in his refusal or removal from participating at WrestleMania. This is more damaging to the cause than if someone had gotten a hold of these finishes and released them. Yeah. Agreed. Then we started to question though. I mean, the, the original source of this came from somebody with tight ties to the company, a Fox employee who works with the backstage program in satin. And, and now that they're that Roman Reigns is going and doing interviews and taking to social media, cutting his own selfie promo on this thing. And triple H is, is addressing it. Stephanie's addressing this thing. Where are they twisting this thing? Is, could it be something as simple? When we look at this 16 cards, a WrestleMania that it, it's too big for one night. What's all the intrigue been about? It's not about these matches. It's not about the superstars that are involved. It's about how the hell are they going to pull this off? What is it going to look like? What's the production? Is this just another layer to that of the if what's how in the hell are this is this thing going to play out speculation in suspense? Yeah, I am not impressed with the way WWE has handled this situation, especially when it comes to Roman Reigns. Because I feel like there's so much of the Roman Reigns story. The people that are actually Roman Reigns fans that pull for Roman Reigns, the reality of the situation with Roman Reigns is the only thing that has ever connected him to the audience. When he came out and announced that his his remission had come to its conclusion and he had leukemia again and he had to go off and get treatment, like that was a very, very real moment. 
and people embraced Roman Reigns in that moment. I think the honesty and reality of the situation is the way to play this thing, not the way WWE has played it. I don't even know why this, you know, this should have been handled behind closed doors. This is a situation where you take care of business in house. They're, they're booking themselves, you know, embracing this thing. If they are storyline, what they're booking themselves into a corner, they can't get out of. And this goes to the same thing where they spent years telling us, Oh, we picked the shots. we we say who's chosen. And then ultimately the reality of it is that's how the, the audience came to see them. And they didn't trust them realistically they didn't they kind of revolted storyline wise so of all the choices to replace roman reigns they go with braun Strowman. i understand that i i I understand it but out of a list of like four or five guys braun Strowman would have been the last guy on my list I would have taken Sheamus over Braun Strowman. I would have taken Matt Riddle over Braun Strowman. I would have taken Shinsuke Nakamura over Braun Strowman. Hell, I would have even pivoted John Cena out of that Firefly Funhouse match, whatever the fuck that is, and done John Cena versus Goldberg before I would have done Braun Strowman. I think what I would have done there, and I do like some of those. I mean, you know, I I don't think I would have gone with Nakamura. And it's more of how in my rebuttal to defend the choice uh, Braun Strowman. Short notice here. This from the get-go has not been about us inside the bubble. This is a a bigger picture match. This is one of those crossovers that they're hoping to draw attention towards. Braun obviously has that look. He has that appeal. When you see him immediately, you're thinking pro wrestler. That's what this guy's got to do. This also could have in some influence from the network. Braun has been very present with them. I and mean, when we go back to who's there at Thanksgiving football, any given Sunday on a sideline, who's interacting with the players, you know, that's Braun Strowman. You got to believe that he's, he's familiar with those inside the network. We want, we want that guy. That's the guy that we've been using all year. He looks like a pro wrestler. We want him in this spot. I can understand where they're coming from there. Now to hold off like this to the day of, I really think it's, you're not by keeping people holding on here that maybe aren't so much into the no. And even so those that are okay, like just move on with it. You're doing a, a tremendous disservice to Braun himself. I mean, couldn't we do something here for these social media efforts, at least for those inside that bubble, anything to, to let us know that this is the direction that you're going in here. You would think I, the other one that stands out to me that I also would have taken over Braun Strowman is the man who gave us the quote. Triple H versus Goldberg. I mean, here's my thing, man. Braun Strowman versus Goldberg for the WWE Universal Championship does not seem like a main event of a WrestleMania to me, even if it's the main event of night one of WrestleMania. It just, it doesn't have that feeling to me. I don't think it is. And, you know, go back. I I wouldn't put Nakamura there. I I do love Sheamus. I think he'd be a great representative. We're talking about a look crossover appeal. I think it's it's a it's a it's been enough of he's been absent, so some of those naysayers have grown. You know they miss him, so they would welcome that. I think they would they would love it. And you talk about reigniting that fire moving forward and getting people excited. I I think Sheamus could do that as well. I what's interesting to me, and I didn't think about this when you talk about pivoting John Cena away from the Funhouse match. 
why wouldn't you do like a case that we saw at Wrestle Kingdom? Have the Funhouse match take place on Saturday. Your winner, you've got tremendous intrigue there. Can Bray Wyatt survive his this gimmick that he has created and go back and seek revenge for a mishap that happened in Saudi? Or could this be John Cena overcoming something? Hell, it, we have no idea what a Funhouse match is. How the hell is John Cena going to know what this thing is? He's stepping into this entire, this dynamic, this other world that's not his. Can the champion of champions, one of the greatest of all time, can he overcome this? And then on top of that, if he survives that, does he have enough in the tank to go tie Flair's record? No, to break it. He's already tied Oh, it. yes, to break it. Yes, to break it. Against, I mean, you talk against about, Goldberg, of all people. You talk about immediately adding intrigue to a situation. Now, and you release that, now you've got people buzzing. And with, with how hot John Cena is right now, and... And even so, with when you look at the funhouse, it brings out that that over the top feeling that you are expecting from professional wrestling. And if it's presented in the in a right spotlight, those outside PR sources, those platforms, they're going to pick up on that as well. This could have been a tremendous down the home stretch publicity move by WWE. Man, this would that would have been a tremendous move. Yep. Yep, you're right. Yeah, that would have been the ideal situation. That's exactly what they should have done. Uh, let's talk about your precious Char Char. Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Championship. Um, this is such a weird dynamic because this is the grandest stage of them all, and it's Rhea Ripley's backyard. It, it, it's a very odd dynamic going into this match. Brick, I, I still, I have absolutely no inclination one way or the other which way they're going to go with this thing. Yeah, and I think, you know, when, when we go through these other matches, and there's there's very few that have really any kind of intrigue to them. As we talk about how everything's kind of overshadowed by the bigger picture at hand here, this one inside of itself, it could go any direction. And you can make very sound arguments for for either call. I'm also very curious where this is placed between the two nights of the card. Um, with Because we have the Raw Women's Championship on the line, the SmackDown Women's Championship on the line, the, the Tag Team Championships on the line. So we've got four different women's matches on this show. Where are they going to rank the NXT Women's Championship in order of importance? Because this is clearly the most interesting or, at best case scenario, the second most interesting of the women's matches. I would much rather watch this than the SmackDown Women's Championship match. Is Vince going to let this go on after that? Well, you got to realize here, you're putting yourself in perhaps New Japan style booking. This thing could go all over the place because we got to look for the cool down matches. I think what's I think what's what is going to be certain is you're going to have the NXT Championship on one evening and the Raw on the other. Yes, I agree with that. And now in the structuring of the card, and you have these other marquee matches. Where are they going to load them up at? And ultimately, the SmackDown Women's match. Hell, it's not even befitting of a kickoff show it it's it would barely qualify as an entertaining match for 
main event programming around Hulu. I mean, the the SmackDown Women's Championship, the Raw Tag Team Championships, um, really the SmackDown Tag Team Championships, but that one's kind of up in the air because it's a ladder match. Um, those are really your only cooldown matches unless you want to, well, Elias and King Fuckface, Bobby Lashley, Aleister Black, Otis and Dolph Ziggler, Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. I You can scatter all of those kind of throughout the card as cooldown matches basically anywhere, too. Uh, absolutely. And again, you know, which kind of brings up a, Maybe instead of like breaking down match by match, we should have talked about how you would lay this card out by each night. And yeah. that's gonna that's pretty damn intriguing inside of itself, a tremendous conversation. Yeah, you know, maybe later I get some free time later, I'll take the the Facebook and Hami Media discussion group. I think that would be a tremendous thread. Yeah, just real quick on that. I mean, do you try to get people make sure that you're retaining viewership? Do you load up Saturday night to say this is something you need to be invested in? I think I try to balance the two cards as much as possible. Like uh, clearly you have a couple of matches that are going to be pre-tapes. Um, so you have like the boneyard match is going to be one night. The firefly Funhouse match is going to be the other night. Um, last man standing. Um, isn't there another match that's similar to last man standing? Well, everything inside, I think it's taken away. Everything kind of parallels one another. Well, what, and it's still on, oh, it's last on the man same standing in the ladder match. I would have those on opposite nights. Okay, well, see, to me, like I would make sure that you're you're not telling. I would make sure that you have the boneyard and the last man on separate because just even the stories are so yeah. similar. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. you've got families involved, you've got the wives involved. You're getting real. You're calling each other by, you know, by your your mark names. And they're running those on the same show. And I put it out there on social media this week. It's, it's, so should we give WWE a creative because they've half-assed two programs? Does that make one good program? It, well, it seems like that's kind of what's going on here. I mean, it, th- they have 16 matches here. If this was only eight matches, I would feel way more enthusiastic about the card. I know, but even still inside of that, if you take the top eight, Undertaker, AJ Styles, Randy Orton, and Edge, those make the cut. Those are essentially the same freaking story, and you're running them on the same program every week. The, yeah. the two highlights of this show last week, or let's call them midlights. And I don't want to go that high because we are come to accept mediocre as excellence inside WWE. But those better than the rest moments, they came from the promos from The Undertaker, and they came from Edge. They're even shot almost identical in the presentation, where it's so different. They don't have those guys go out there with a microphone, and I'm talking over here to, these, to nobody, and I'm talking over here to nobody. They're talking through their camera. You can you can feel it from their soul. It was almost the same damn thing. Yep. And you got the wives involved. It's gotten very personal. It's in gimmick matches. They shot themselves in the foot here with this thing. Completely. Uh, so prediction, Charlotte or Rhea, which way are you leaning? <laughs> Who the hell are we talking about? You know, at this point, at, at this match here, I'm just going to turn my mind off and I, I'm just going into Mark mode and rooting for Char. I'm going to go with Rhea just to piss you off. Uh, Shayna Baszler versus Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship. Um Rick, I'm torn on this because I feel like it's so clear that Shayna Baszler is going to win this match. 
that it wouldn't surprise me to see them try to headline either night one or night two with this match and go off the air with Becky standing tall, holding up the Raw Women's Championship in a in a positive, feel-good kind of moment. They should go ahead and take that, that ridiculous semi-rig that they've got Becky driving around in right now and go ahead and just have that run over her career at this point right now or this whole gimmick. I, they, they have mismanaged and over manipulated this thing. I, I don't even know if it's salvageable at this point. It, it, it's embarrassing what they've done. They should have been printing money with her freaking face on it. But it just goes back to, again, I, who is booking this? You know, obviously the, it ends and begins with Vince, but in between of this thing, we went and looked at the average age of some of these creative. I mean, we're looking at these millennials. Do they understand what it what it takes to have somebody be presented in that that light of a stone cold as a true ass kicker? You know, anti authority. You make the rules. No, I mean, it's, this thing has been a complete mess with her. I think it's almost the time you give you give the ball here to Shayna and let Becky go away for a little bit. Yeah, I I feel like that's the best note for sure. Uh, SmackDown Women's Championship, Lacey, Naomi, Tamina, and they're all going to be in the ring with Sasha and Bailey. Why this is not just Sasha and Bailey one on one, I just do not understand. Um, this story is clearly about Sasha and Bailey. I'm going to go with Sasha Banks to win the SmackDown Women's Championship, even though I just don't think it's going to be good. Because when you have a heel stabbing another heel in the back to go even more heel, it, it just seems a complete mess to me on the creative. I think, again, the creative going into this thing is a mess. It's confusing in including all these other ladies. With all that, I am not surprised in the least bit. What has been the ammo between these two? What have we had for years? Them afraid to pull the trigger, move full forward with this program, despite the obviousness that the fans, that's what they've been wanting. They want to revisit that freaking hot program from NXT. They want it on this larger stage. Has the time passed? Have they missed that opportunity? You got to believe so. And now again, with the way this match is set up, that's what we've got going forward. They're going to continue to drag their feet in a full-on-go program between these two. Yeah, and I, I don't even know which one's supposed to be the babyface because they're both so unlikable well, at this point. It, 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 and that's, that's that falls again on creative. I mean, that's what happens here. Do you want to like either one of them? Well, I, I, I guess the positive is the fans won't pop when Sasha turns on Bailey, because that's clearly what would have happened if this would have been in front of fans, right? Yeah, and again, it, this this entire thing, this is something they should have held off on. We didn't need this for a successful WrestleMania. Nope. I feel that way about every match that we're going to talk about on the rest of the card, with the exception of Edge and Randy Orton. We could probably fly through a lot of these. A lot of these, yeah. Uh, Angel Garza and Austin Theory versus the Street Profits. Uh, Rick, I feel like this is right place, right time. 
uh, for us in theory because of injuries, because of people refusing to work the show. It's a matter of who is available and who is local that we can get in here. And so they're going to put Austin Theory in this position. I hope he has a better showing than he had on Monday Night Raw because I was not impressed by Austin Theory on Monday Night Raw at all. Yeah, you know, even outside of you know, what people are really kind of honing in on, if if it was an all-around miscue, if he was out of place, if he didn't know the move was coming, whatever it might have been there. Uh, but even just his body language in that match, it didn't really seem like he fit into the spot. As you're saying there, Jark, I mean, this is the timing, the opportunity. This is something, you know, he's being thrust into this spotlight. I mean, hell, I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than this. Uh, a WrestleMania that of WrestleManias that we have never seen the likes of before. It's it's very similar to the opportunity of an AJ Styles. Yeah. When he had you know, make that long ass flight. Yep. Hemisphere to hemisphere to to bail them out. You know, it's to a lesser extent, this is it's that same opportunity for him. Whoever would have thought that the biggest match of his life would have come in front of absolutely nobody. Daniel Bryan versus Sami Zayn for the Intercontinental Championship. Ten years ago in Ring of Honor, this would have been a dream match, but I'm afraid that the WWE will use it as a cool-down match that will contain a lot of comedy and Daniel Bryan putting Sami Zayn in a lot of submission holds and Sami Zayn screaming like a little girl, and it's going to be absolutely hilarious, but it's not necessarily going to be good for either one of these guys when they could go out there and just tear the freaking house down if they were given that opportunity. And you got to believe in this setting here that this is, you know, if you're looking at these undercards, this is a match that should be given the time. Let these two go out there. Dana Bryan and Sami Zayn, too. Everyone's been kind of involved on both sides here. They've been the bright spot for these empty arena shows when it comes to the work rate, getting inside that ring. And let them go out there and continue that. Yep. And don't. Don't overcomplicate this thing with the, the character work. This is going. This is an undercard match here for you. Go out there and set a tone, set a pacing for the rest of the night. I think they'll be fine there if they if they go that route. Do we have a new Intercontinental Champion at WrestleMania 36, or does Sami Zayn find a way to escape with the Intercontinental Championship? I think you got to keep riding that Sami wave right now. It, it's hot. It's still fresh. You keep this thing going. I agree with you. So now the next question becomes, how in the fuck does the Sami Zayn character that we know in 2020 defeat Daniel Bryan to retain the Intercontinental Championship? Well, I mean, just the way that he's gotten it, shenanigans. But uh, nothing, like, in particular that comes to mind for you? I don't know. I just haven't given this match that, that much thought. I'm kind of hoping Drew Gulak turns on Daniel Bryan and joins the Artist Collective. See, to me, I, I, as I'm looking moving forward, I like those two together. And I look at this tag division. I, I'd like to see, if, especially, you know, what we've heard there that Daniel Bryan does want to step back. I mean, if you're trying to persuade him to maybe – budge a little bit on having that that Lesnar schedule don't you say okay man you know 
we still need you out there. You help us move tickets. You help move the number and the ratings. Let's focus back in on that tag team thing so it's not all on you going out there and having to, you know, pull everything out of your arsenal every night. We'll give you a guy that is damn near near you that you yourself have have given praise towards. I mean, honestly, you know, outside of the storytelling, he's wanted to work with, with Drew. So you pair them together, that could be, you know, that's a, a little bit of a pitching point there when you're in that renegotiations. You talk about the SmackDown tag team division, and it sounds like I, I, I'm so confused by what's happening with this match because there's so many conflicting reports. What we do know is the Miz is not going to be in this match. So we know that it's going to be a ladder match. John Morrison is going to be in it. One of the Usos is going to be in it. And I keep seeing conflicting reports about whether or not one of the members of the New Day is going to be in this match. I I, I just, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is one of those, again, and I get the, the event must go on. But when you start seeing drastic changes inside, and this isn't a marquee, there is nobody tuning in to WrestleMania over the last decade. Damn, we got to see that SmackDown. We got to see that tag team championship belt. Right. That is not a, no, no one has uttered that phrase in the longest time. So this is something when this got this got moved around. This is what you pull from this show to save time. This is what, and if you want to make an adjustment here, and you want to get something representing the division, and you got to go with a singles triple threat ladder for the tag team championships. Save that for SmackDown. Yeah, that that's and, and, and another thing in this. On one side of the fence, inside the WWE Universe, you have a tag team championship match where they just find a substitute. But in this match, now we have to eliminate the whole concept of tag team wrestling to decide our tag team champions? Yeah, it, it, it's very, very perplexing. And and the women's tag team championships are kind of in the same category because I had seen reports that Asuka was not going to be competing at WrestleMania, but I keep seeing that Bliss Cross versus the Kabuki Warriors for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships is a match that's going to happen. So I'm not exactly sure what's going on with that entire situation either. But if anything, the Kabuki Warriors should absolutely retain simply because you talk about the Artist Collective being the best thing on SmackDown over the course of the last few months. Oscar's the best thing on Monday Night Raw right now. She's, a, if nothing else, entertaining. Absolutely. And again, you know, and that's what's funny. They had these episodes in the can here, but man, she is at the forefront. They are highlighting her left and right. Could we see another replacement where we see like EO come in and substitute for Oscar during this match? I mean, it, it, it's going to be interesting. And I think, too, it, it's just disappointing that we didn't get more out of the build and use the road to WrestleMania to spotlight this division. I, I, you know, going back to early in the year, Rumble time, talking about they had the potential here to truly make this something special. They would have just honed in, focused on this thing. 
But this entire road to WrestleMania has been using Asuka as a stepping stone in a pond in all these other, in the women's singles division stuff. Do you think Vince McMahon would notice if Io Shirai took Asuka's place in this I, match? I think, I think was when it came to Asuka, yes. But I think you could easily replace uh, Sane with somebody. Yeah, Kyrie and they would have no idea. So fucked up. Uh, Edge versus Randy Orton, last man standing. I agree. This is it, This feels like a main event match. To me, the only reason this is not a main event match is because there's nothing on the line. Uh, as far as a prop goes, I, I, I should specify there. Um, but this is clearly one of the most interesting matches. One of the matches that people are going to watch this show for is Edge versus Randy Orton. What? I think, too, the way you present that. Sometimes in life, again, things are more important than having uh, a physical prize, having something that you can attach a cash value towards. I mean, this ideally, this thing is, is should be very personal, and it started that way. I mean, this thing came; it was fire. You, you lay the roots there at at the Rumble, and you come out, and Randy, the Snake, the Viper, sinking his teeth and in, injecting that venom into Edge's family. This has been their, arguably their hottest program. Again, I'm not trying to put it over as some brilliant piece of creative because it hasn't been that. They have completely dropped the ball on this thing, but with the standards set by WWE, where mediocre is exceptional, this has set the bar for them right now. And, and going into what is at stake here, how personal this is, and then you take into consideration the reevaluation of our values of a society and what we do hold important right now. And it, and it is that you can you can reach out and contact your loved ones or even those that you can be around at this time of crisis or as we push through when you are able to get back together. You know, we're just a couple of weeks away and I think you're going to see a, a real maybe a, a kickback a little bit and a, a bit of defiance. When you know the regulations and restrictions pretty much cancel Easter, and people aren't going to be able to go travel and see their families, I mean, I think that's going to really hit home for a lot of individuals. So when we do get to May and, and the weather's warming up, and you see a return to pool parties and barbecues and all that, there's going to be such an emphasis on that. And this this personal program here between Edge and all their history between Edge and Randy Orton, I think. More so than, believe me, than the thrown together Goldberg situation, even with, with Drew and Brock, all of that, even with the women's stuff, there's so much more at stake here. Is there a swerve where Randy Orton wins this match? I think Randy, he, he's been around enough here. Him and Edge, both of them, they know what the best biz is. And it's not Randy. Even even for that shock value, it's, I don't think it's not worth it in your long in your payoff here. Undertaker versus AJ Styles in a boneyard match. Uh, Rick, what are the odds zero to one hundred that AJ Styles can win this match? Yeah, I, I guess the real question is: is we're talking about business going forward? This is more. This is a novelty inside of itself. 
This is a train wreck. This is awful. The way this is what been handled. This, I mean, what does this? Oh yeah. I mean, we talk about mediocre and really missing out on something. The whole direction of how they presented it and tried to create this heat between these two. It's just been a disaster. Well, AJ Styles benefits nothing at all from this, no matter how you slice it. He's either going to lose to an old man or he's going to beat an old man. Like, no matter how you slice it, there's no way AJ Styles benefits from this thing. But it is WrestleMania. It is The Undertaker. It is the greatest record in WrestleMania history. Is there even a 1% chance that AJ Styles could win this match? Can you talk me into a 1% chance that AJ Styles is going to win this match? Because I can't. And I think what takes all speculation out of this is that they that they felt the need. And, you know, they're thinking we need something to spice this up without having the audience there present, without the pageantry of a WrestleMania. We need something. But. I think it's it's done the greatest disservice is slapping that gimmick on this. Yeah. I mean, even even in defeat, if AJ Styles could have gone out there in a traditional wrestling match and carried Undertaker to one of those those great lasting memories that the old man, the dead man, he went out there near the end of the career and kind of revived that reception that we have of him, the aura of WrestleMania. You know, ultimately that would have been that praise would have been put on AJ Styles. And how you know masterful he is inside of that ring that he got this out of the Undertaker that not that he got it out of the Undertaker he you know he gave this to the Undertaker he gave this to the business even in a loss AJ Styles would have been elevated if somehow he goes over there I mean you talk about a moment for somebody that went you know the untraditional route that truly started from the bottom now he's here arriving at the top of the mountain win or lose. This gimmick match does nothing for AJ Styles. I don't know if there's anybody over the course of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast that we have talked about more than The Undertaker, which is insane to me. But over the course of these two and a half years, it's all been bad. Like Undertaker's legacy going forward in 2020 is so much worse than it was when we started this thing in 2017. It's funny that you say that we talked the most about Undertaker, and in the time that we've been doing the show, he's only had like five matches. I know. It's fucked (laughs) up. Completely fucked up. John Cena versus Bray Wyatt in the Firefly Funhouse match. I, I feel like Bray Wyatt has to win this match. He has to win this match. His last match was against Goldberg, and he lost. He has to get a win against John Cena, right? You'd think so here. But again, you know, you put these gimmicks in here. They can finagle their way out of this. You know, without having that, that speculation of the potential of one of these two going forward. And we do hear that Cena, it, this could be the last time we see him for a while. Uh, just out of their control because of, you know, contractual obligations to Hollywood. Well, on a positive and, note, every movie that John Cena was going to be in has been pushed back for at least a year. So, but inside of that, though, with contractual ob- obligations, I mean, would they do they still want someone they're invested in? That's going to be the insurance policies and all that. That's going to be a Hollywood nightmare, man. That's going to be a Hollywood 
nightmare rescheduling all these movies, all the media tours. It's going to be a complete freaking nightmare. Like John Cena might just want to come back to wrestling for a year, kind of let this thing kind of just level out. You know what I mean? And like I say that as a joke, but it's like one of those jokes that's half shoot, like (laughs) kind of let 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 the landscape in Hollywood just kind of level off, let everything get back to normal. And in the meantime, I can be the star of the WWE and, you know, help entertain people over the course of the next year while we're getting through this thing, especially if we're not going to have fans for three, four months. Like I could absolutely see that being in John Cena's personality. Well, and well, you talk about just a business strategy. You're talking about, you know, how insane the atmosphere is going to be there in Hollywood and just that, that rush and how crowded that scene, you know, just trying, as you said, man, PR, yeah. shooting, production, marketing campaigns. If you're John Cena right now, you have raised your stock enough. You could pretty much go back in, in this time of urgency, you name your price for WWE. You're, you're probably, you're worth more to WWE now than a Brock Lesnar ever could be because simply because your connection and your personality. Yep. You can you can reestablish yourself in a heartbeat, a blink of an eye as the ultimate brand ambassador for WWE and you you know damn well Vince would jump all over that thing. Absolutely. I think that's a real possibility. Like I I feel like that that could be the silver lining in all of this for pro wrestling. You might get John Cena back for a year to 18 months. And, and that could, and that means, a. And now when people hear that, that doesn't mean he's going to go out there every week and be in the ring, but you're going to get something. He is going to stand out in the forefront as the representative of WWE and kind of by default professional wrestling. Yeah. The last form of entertainment. I mean, John Cena. And a guy that can handle all that. Absolutely. Who can, who can be there on it every platform that you need him hitting every mark, all cylinders, it's John Cena. You've been looking for an excuse if it's if it's cancer, if it's corona, whatever it might be to get Roman Reigns out of there. It could be out of the necessity that the WWE needs John Cena. The WWE needs John Cena. My God. Welcome to 2020. I'm so happy I'm quitting this fucking show. Kevin you Owens can, versus you can, you can Rollins. Well see him now. <laughs> Kevin Owens versus Seth Rollins. Uh, This is another one, Rick, that it feels like this is one of the better stories that they have told leading up to WrestleMania, or at least put the effort into telling. But it would have been a whole lot better if WrestleMania would have happened like a month ago. As far as this creative program goes, they are just out of steam. Yeah, this is one of those that they've they've really seemed to drag out and it's and you feel for Kevin Owens. It seems that he just, he continually seems to be put in these positions. Well, yeah, we say that, but you know, like there's a very good possibility after this match that they're going to turn Kevin Owens heel in the next like two weeks. And then he will be a baby face again by the fucking Memorial day. And it's the continued flip flopping that, that really people have trouble over investing in these. And people want to like Kevin Owens. I think they genuinely really want to like Kevin Owens. I think inside the company, what hurts Kevin Owens is he's so good and that he is so diverse in what he can bring to the table, what he offers. 
that it holds him back. It handcuffs him from you know finding true success in committing and going in a defined direction. And we say that is there a ticker? Does Kevin Owens have a countdown on his phone to the day that his contract expires and he can go to AEW? Because Kevin Owens seems like he would be a perfect fit inside of that environment, whether it be on the microphone or inside of the ring. You know, we talk about that, you know, when some of these, and I, I before we started recording today, I, I saw a story that there was some concern inside of WWE with, with the stars about layoffs. Or hell, not layoffs, but just termination of contracts. Right. If if they do eliminate original programming, and hell, we're up to we're over three hundred contracted wrestlers or superstars. Will they make those cuts? And and you always hear so and so would be better off just go to go to AEW. You think there would be certain individuals that maybe aren't shooting for that level, but realize that, that they could find success on air ultimately financial success let's say you take a small group like that like a, a kevin owens and a Sami Zayn, and they get a couple other buddies and they go say hey man let's go see if we can kind of get our hands on the book at mlw or can we start something on one of those hot you know not the level not a, a mlw is what i meant this or you know can we maybe take pro wrestling gorilla a little bit higher what would the return of Kevin Steen to Ring of Honor mean? And I, I was going to say Ring of Honor, but you know I didn't want to sell Marty short there. But you know maybe they come in and say, "Hey, Marty, let's let us join your team." I mean, if nothing else, just the star power. What would that mean to Ring of Honor? Absolutely, and you know if you could convince. I mean, it, we were surprised when we saw the number that they gave Marty to get Sinclair to open up a little bit. Yeah, for the potential. Hey, you know. Look at the exposure these guys have had over the last what, five, six, seven years. We're going to bring that name value and that diehard fan base that's wanting to see these guys succeed. We're going to let it be known that they're going to have some creative control. This is going to be a worthwhile investment. If we just make it, you know, make it work their while, and we'll give them some nice upside benefits here. I mean, there's so many guys that you hear, oh, they'd be so much better off in AEW, and it's like it, it doesn't even fit. Like they don't even fit the AEW, like the way that that company is being built to me, the list of guys that would fit inside of AEW are the revival. I think would clearly fit in into that tag team division, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn and the undisputed era. That's it. I don't think there's anybody else that I, I, I look at that WWE roster and I think, boy, they would really fit in with what AEW is trying to do right now. Like the popular one is Ricochet. Everybody's like, oh, Ricochet would be so much better in AEW. No, he wouldn't. He still wouldn't be able to cut a fucking promo. Even in AEW, would, no, would you trust Ricochet with no script? Have you ever heard Ricochet try to talk without a script? You think he's bad with a script? My God. There is a reason that he found his his greatest success it's under Prince a Puma. mask. Yeah, yes. with Conan doing all of his fucking talking. Yes. And, you know, he hasn't been set up for any kind of success here in WWE. You're exactly right. And I still think when you get to – it worked in Lucha because it was for a niche audience. It is your underground. It's a cult following. Again, you know, to me, it's still – it was a, a sci-fi show with wrestling in it. Yep. When you get to that, that bigger platform, that – 
that grander stage. I don't know if you're going to ever have that connect with you. And it's not a knock on him. You have role players like that. He just can't talk. It, inside, inside AEW, you talk about, oh, everybody should be heading there. And that's not the case. You know, they, they already have enough problem trying to figure out what they're doing with this overabundance of locker room talent that they have trouble getting onto dark episodes. Yeah, I, MJF, not in the, the TNT tournament, which is probably a good thing because if they don't want him to win it, then don't put him in the tournament. But, I, you know, he's just another name that it's like, where the hell is MJF? About to get written off of MLW is actually the answer, but. Right. And, you know, outside of some, the gambling and starting a little something there, a little friction with the Butcher and the Blade. Well, we haven't seen him in two weeks. We haven't heard mention of him. Yeah, exactly. And there's your fucking mid-card championship. The dynamite doesn't ring. Jesus fucking Christ, like we needed another goddamn belt. Let's talk about Elias versus King Fuckface, because that's a match that's going to happen at WrestleMania. Does anybody give a fuck who wins this match? Like, if there if there was ever a match that screamed, this is a cool-down match, go make a sandwich, go take a piss, Elias versus King Fuckface? Really? We need this at fucking WrestleMania? Talk about number of hours of engagement. It's fucking right here, man. Uh, well, what you're going to get from this thing is this is, this could be your ESPN. This can be your ESPN. This is going to be your Fox one clip is because it's going to end up with Gronk counting the three. Oh God. I hate it when you're right like that. (laughs) Bobby Lashley and Aleister Black. Um, I don't know if this match is going to happen because the last I heard Bobby Lashley had been quarantined. Um, so I don't know what's going on with this match or if they're going to have somebody else knock on Aleister Black's fucking door because we need to fill another match on this card. I don't know why, but yeah, I I don't even know why this match is happening. Bobby Lashley and Aleister Black. Rick, can you explain to me what is the storyline purpose of this match happening? This match actually, it has brought me some of the best pure entertainment that I have experienced over the last couple of weeks. Have you been? Have you been up? Are you up to date with the uh, up to speed with the Wednesday locker room? Those guys putting over making the connections here with black on black crime and blackity 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 black. I mean, this is it. This That's is gold. fantastic. <laughs> but I mean, there is no storyline here, is there? Bello, Bello and Strangler putting this over. That is the the extent of my interest in this thing. So thank you to you, good brethren of the Hot Mean Media Group for making this whatsoever this this is probably the highlight of the undercard for me um here's my problem with this match i don't want either one of these guys to lose i don't really care which one wins but i don't want either one of these guys to lose i think when we look at the current situation i mean alistair's got to go I mean, it's almost the ship is almost sailed here. I mean, when we were hearing rumblings on the road to WrestleMania that they want Lashley to be that next challenger, possibly for, you know, someone like Drew, who's going to need big challengers, or if it was Brock that he could potentially fall. It's another case of where they'll just flip a switch and expect us all to fall in line and finally buy into somebody when they've sat there for years and just destroyed the perception around them. Could you see Alistair Black versus Drew McIntyre? Well, I mean, now we're going to have to, you have to turn. 
somebody. And I, I think when you, and it's obviously you don't want to turn McIntyre. Well, Alistair is, is, no man is ever truly good. No man is ever truly evil. Alistair is like, you know, the tweener of all tweeners. Okay. I get that. But why you're, when you're establishing McIntyre, I think you need visually credible opponents. That's going to be a very short list. No, and that's why somebody, it, it's to me, it was, it should have been of the utmost importance to make sure that you are now building somebody like a Bobby Lashley, you know, it, that you can get heat behind somebody like a Braun. They do have individuals that can fill those roles that you can put into those spots where, I mean, even at Hulk Hogan, you know, it's 6'6 and 270 to 300 and muscle on top of muscle, they found ways to present him as an underdog. No man good, no man evil, but not every man's over six foot, Alistair. I'm sorry about that. I mean, that I don't need that to be an early comparison. And on that, you know, as we're building Drew and establishing that, you know, it, you can tell that story from the other side. Okay, he's taking down these other giants, but we've been building this other character up as well. And he might not have that stature and fit that typical criteria. But there's something unique and dynamic and, and sinister about this new change in black. I don't think that's something you can go to within a year. Well, and the other thing about Drew that's really, really nice in a champion's context, and Okada does this too. They're so much bigger than the rest of the roster. If you go back and you watch Drew when he was NXT champion, he started every match crouched in the corner. And Okada does the same thing because he's so much taller than a lot of the other Japanese talent. He starts off every match crouched in the corner. So you don't get that visual of how much bigger he is than his opponent. Absolutely. And you, and you go out of your way. Like when you do the big match announcement, you don't have them go out and square off in the middle of the ring. Yep. You don't have contract signing segments where they're across the table and you can just obviously see the difference in the individuals and that that's on the production team. And I trust triple H with that. I trust Gato with that. Do you trust Vince and Bucky with that? No, <laughs> That's the problem. And then we have your main event of the show. The last match that we will ever talk about in the history of the hitting the marks pro wrestling podcast. Dolph Ziggler with Mandy Rose in his corner takes on the bulldozer Otis Rick this is the Wrestlemania match of all Wrestlemania matches I saved this for the main event because I know how much you love shitty reality television and this match is the epitome of WWE shitty reality television is there a match on this card that you are looking more forward to than Dolph Ziggler versus Otis well, first of all, you know, inside the build to this match here, you talk about appropriate use of social media. We get first the pro wrestling Boeing of the week. Mandy Rose taking it to TikTok, working those moves, the tight little outfit, the, the nice cut panties, the, the short top, the tight workout top. Fantastic material. She is selling this thing. And then your pro wrestling pop of the week coming from Twitter. History in the making. 
the incredible career of Dolph Ziggler, all of the WrestleMania moments from him. And after WrestleMania 36, he will have as many single matches as Michael Cole. I might have to bust out my Dolph Ziggler t-shirt just to celebrate for the WrestleMania review at twitch.tv backslash Hameen Media Group. Did, did you happen to see who replied to that? Uh, wasn't it Jerry the King Lawler? The Jerry, yeah, Lawler. The King comes in. He says, well, kid, I got you beat after my legendary Beyond Hall of Fame career. Paraphrase about Beyond Hall of Fame career. I've only had one WrestleMania match. And oh, by the way, I lost Michael Cole. That's awful. That's awful. Like, that rakes right up there with fucking Triple H going over Sting. Uh, When you really think about that, Sickler's been around since late 90s, at least early 2000s. Mm, I'll look it up. I'm curious. I mean, mean, his first taste from coming up from OVW was working as the caddy for Kerwin White. Right. And then he would disappear for a little bit and then reemerge as part of the Spirit Squad. And he outlasted. I mean, there was some tremendous talent inside that Spirit Squad. He debuted in 2005. That was under the... the, the, That was the Kerwin White's caddy. Okay. I I thought it was earlier now. I guess, you know, it's... Well, still, that's 15 years. In your memory. Yeah, 15 years. He actually put that in the tweet. 15 years that he has been here. And gone out there and worked his ass off in, you know, money in the bank, whatever their their version of the ladder match was that year, or battle royals. Two-time world heavyweight champion, three-time world tag team champion, seven-time intercontinental champion, one-time United States champion, Mr. Money in the Bank in 2012, 22nd triple crown champion in WWE history. He's a Grand Slam champion. And he's never had a WrestleMania singles match? History in the making, my friend. How fucked up is that? I don't want to hear Bello hate on Ziggler anymore. History in the making. History in the making. So that's going to wrap things up for this podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, I, I guess you can hit that subscribe button because we're, we are going to have a continuation of shows on the HTM Podcast Network. Turnbuckle Talk is still going to be coming to the HTM Podcast Network. Robin Nelson at the Wrestle Podcast just, he keeps sending me shows. I don't know why. He just keeps sending me shows. I've, I've got a backlog of like 15 shows of the Wrestle Podcast all of a sudden. It's absolutely crazy. And who knows what else might show up. I mean, maybe a PW Hustle. There could be the first episode of Destino might show up on the HTM. HTM Podcast Network, you know, Rick's new project, Hot Tag, maybe that ends up on the HTM Podcast Network. Who knows what the hell is going to end up here? So go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We would like to send a very, very special thank you to all of the people that have helped us put together this podcast over the course of the last couple of years. Uh, Ryan K. Bowman and Michael Melkor over at thegorillaposition.com. Uh, Jamie Greer at Last Word on ProWrestling.com. Uh, everybody at Hameen Media, Big Ray Hernandez, Ben Hameen, Andrew Bellow, Strangler Steve King. The list is just absolutely endless. Carlos over at NDPW.com. Everybody at Ring of Honor. Everybody at New Japan Pro Wrestling that's let us interview them. Everybody from WOW. I mean, 
Rick, it, it's ridiculous at this point. I think I have more pro wrestlers in my cellular phone than I have friends of mine at this point because we've met so many people through doing Hitting the Marks. I'm, I'm forever thankful to everybody who's ever listened to this show. Thank you so much for really helping this crazy dream of ours come true. We have two and a half years in the making and this final episode running just a little longer than that. <laughs> As you said, I mean, just, you know, all the personal connections that, that we have made and how so many people have become part of our everyday lives. It's so much, you know, that, I mean, the interaction there is more than the friendships we've made, you know, in reality. Uh, you and I, beyond, you know, just when we started this thing is podcast partners to, to friends, to brothers, our, our families know about one another. We're, we're intertwined there. And I think, you know, when you dropped the news that you were going to be making your exit, wasn't so surprised or moved by that. And, knowing each other and being able to, to pick up those vibes. I knew it was coming for a while. Uh, it still hits you like a ton of bricks. And it, you know, it was really uh, the first fear and concern was, you know, losing that connection. Uh, I, I talked to you more than to anyone else on this planet. And, but, you know, things change in life. And you got involved. And I know that we'll always have that there. It's just going to take it to the next level. And the people that we've had, that we've been able to interact, the interviews that we've had, and the people that now recognize us and are appreciative for the contributions that we made that have afforded us to move on and create these other projects. It's been simply, it's, it's been unreal. It's been incredible. It's been one hell of a good time. Uh, some would say that it was real. It was good. Yeah, but it wasn't always real good. We, we, we had our ups and downs here on the show. We, we tried some things that worked. We tried some things that didn't work. We saw the listenership go up and down. And now we're going to kind of split ways. And, and you're going to go off do your new podcast. Go ahead and plug your new podcast. I'll plug my new podcast. And uh, we'll, we'll close up the, the, the locker room studios at least until Saturday night. Well, I was going to say, you know, uh, Trump. A tremendous project going forward I'm very passionate about and I, I'm taking I really the drive behind that and I was having a talk with my producer over there and bring him in with welcome arms I told him he's got some tremendous shoes to fill and, and that's going to be from turnbuckle talk big Joe is going to come on board he's looking forward to taking his game to the next level but I said hey man you know I work with the very best and I'm going to hold you to those expectations and the drive the driving commitment behind this new project is really to to be able to look back and say we made made you Jargo, made you proud that we were able to take this thing that what we learned from you and take it to the next level. Of course, I'm talking about the Hot Tag WrestleCast, and I, I put together a format here that's going to be very similar to something that you'll see on an ESPN or FS1 afternoon. It's not going to be so time sensitive. Looking at big picture, bringing in people from inside the business that actually talk about the business of the business. Uh, so I, I hope it's something that's going to be captivating and that those that have committed to us here that I always hate to say, you know, listeners or supporters, but our friends and our family here that are just as much a part of this show that give us such tremendous feedback and they're there for the download and the listen to show us their, their continued support. And hopefully they'll enjoy this and they'll follow along with me into that next step outside of just, you know, here where we have grown our relationships and our, our friendships and our family. Uh, I'm going to be continuing on. You know, it's, 
next a week from Monday, it's going to be very a very different dynamic. Is it'll be the first time that those on the platform with the Hami Media Group will not hear you inside the Monday locker room. Yeah, it, it, it'll be the trip. first time. The first time in that show's existence that you will not hear Michael Jargo. But to keep you moving forward, that familiar voice to the RBV, I will be there. And we've got some, I'm going to be joined by some very exciting individuals. Uh, you know, one that I guess it's, it's what we stooging anything off. He's going to help in the transition, help with, you know, kind of producing that and finding us that new direction. Then Hameen's going to be coming on. So it's going to be a tremendous opportunity for myself and an honor to work alongside him. Uh, but we've got somebody else coming from inside the business, someone that goes way back within. It's uh, it's going to be a tremendous listen and learning opportunity, just not for myself, but everybody that's been along with us on the Monday locker room. So I'm looking forward to, to having those opportunities moving forward. Jargo, I, I, I just, I'm going to turn this thing over to you. I just, again, moving forward, everything that driving force there is is to make you proud of us, what you put together here at the Hitting the Marks podcast network and everything that, that you've given me in life and guidance. We talked off air personally about the growth that, that I've had, why we've, why we've been on air together. You, you truly have been. I know it's only 24 hours difference, but you've been that big brother. I don't think that, honestly, that I've had anybody that, that really understands, you know, where I come from at certain times or maybe the, my, the method, the madness to my MO and all that. I think you, you and the entire family, Carly, the girls, all of that. It's been a hell of a ride, Huckleberry. Been a hell of a ride. Two and a half years. I'm very, very proud of everything that we have put out as far as content goes, even when it wasn't very good and I was just playing telling people to suck it like the Young Bucks back in the day. Um, all the way to everything we experienced at StarCast, which was a absolute once-in-a-lifetime experience. And the, the greatest moment that I will, to me, it'll be the greatest moment in professional wrestling history the day the moment that the coin dropped and we got to see kazuchika okada perform live in front of us awesome just absolutely awesome i can't express what that moment was like i'm so happy that i got to spend it with you that i got to spend it with my wife that we got to spend it with our listeners and that they all came with us on this crazy crazy journey you can follow me across all social media platforms at not jargo at some point new japan pro wrestling is gonna start doing shows again at least I sure as fuck hope so. And then you will be able to find the new show at Destino Pod. It's already up on tweener Destino.podbean.com. And that will be coming into your ear holes at the Hami Media Group because, well, let's face it, nobody wants to listen to Big Ray Hernandez try to cover karate wrestling. So that's going to wrap things up for Hitting the Marks. Thank you so much for listening. And for the last time, we're off like a progress. See ya! Crunch your fingers. Label me. I don't give a f- I'll be your bad guy. Yo